gentle man. We are tonight's entertainment. Hey, Kevin. Hi. Uh, Mr. Prasnack, I'd like to introduce you to my brother, Rock. Pleasure to meet you, son. Hi. Mr. Prasnack is the owner of the radio station that's funding the jump. And I'm the number one DJ. I gotta tell you, boys, I couldn't be more excited about this jump. When people hear me describing it over the radio, they are going to remember that AM radio is a viable and modern source for news and entertainment. Totally. Oh. I used to be number one in this town, but people don't listen to AM like they used to. Seems like it's more about FM and color TV. That's stupid. It sure is, Kevin. In fact, I've got a tattoo here that fully illustrates my point. It's of this rebellious young man, and he's urinating on an FM radio. And then this other stream of urine is going on to that television set. You may also note that an AM radio is sitting safely dry in the middle. It's all magic carpet there. Oh, uh, yeah, look at that. Del <sighs> Rod, I spent the station's last $15,000 on this, so it has to be a big success. You understand? You can count on me, sir. Excellent. This is the big one, boys. This is the one that brings us back. Soon, AM radio will reign king once more. <laughs> <laughs> The Joker Bill? Yeah. So I was going to play the Joker thing this morning because the Academy Awards are coming up on Sunday. And, of course, Heath Ledger's nominated for Best Supporting Actor and blah, 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 and the dead and the hey, hey, and the smile on their face and so forth. And so I get this email from this guy, and he's like, have you heard this great speech about the radio? you got to play this as part of today's opening, like for no readily apparent reason. And I said, well, sure. Who am I to deny the audience? I don't even know what movie that's from. I don't know what movie it's from. I don't know who the actor is. I don't know what it's about. I don't know what point he's trying to make. All I know is he says something, something, blah, 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 AM radio, something, something, urinating, something, something, the station's last $15,000. No sense to me at all. I, I, I have to find that movie and own it. But you know what? That back-to-back -back with the Joker is genius, Sarah. That's the kind of brilliance people have come to expect from this very fine radio program. Why, hello, it is 6 minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11, and this the month of February in the year of our Lord... 2009, thank you for coming along and making it part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970, The Talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson radio program. Uh, thank you for coming along. We appreciate it. It's 503-733-2970 if you'd like to join us today. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970 with your comments, questions, clarifications, conventions, ruminations, whatever it is you might have on this Friday. Uh, Richie Bristol is standing by, ready, willing, able, and unbelievably neurotic. To pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, the absurd, and uh, so forth. By the way, Sarah, 
uh, you know, Richie's walking around with this whole tin full of makeup because we got the the Oscar night. Uh, a tin is a fancy little box with, um, with so, polar bears playing like patty cake on it. So the Oscar night America. The uh, 2009 thing is coming up this Sunday at the Hollywood Theater. Sarah Dillon, Tim Riley, myself, Richie Bristol as Rochelle Crystal will all be there. Darcel's going to be there. Rod Hill from KFU is going to be there. It's going to be a night of dreams and magic and dancing, dancing, dancing. So that's coming up this Sunday. So Richie's spending all morning uh, just going completely bonkers about his makeup. And I'm having a foundation crisis, and I just don't know what's going to bring up my eyes. So do you know Rich, uh, where Richie got this box that he's keeping his makeup in? Where did he get it? I didn't know either until Paddock caught me in the hallway. And he's like, hey, do you know that thing that Richie's keeping his makeup in? And I said, yes. And he goes, you know what that's from? And I said, no. And he said, yeah, I brought some Christmas brownies to work on that in December. So there you go. You're keeping your makeup in an old pastry box, Richie. Are you kidding? And I think, I think it was Paddock who actually said, why don't you just put that in an old pizza box while you're at it? Why don't you just find something that held buffalo wings and just keep your makeup in there? Was it listener food? No, no, no. I think it, Tracy brought it in. Oh, Tracy did. Chris's lovely wife, Tracy, I think, had made a so whole Richie series of things. So Richie stole the box from Tracy Paddock. I think it was probably just sitting in the kitchen, but I mean, I mean to each their own. At least you're not one of those goth kids carrying on like a metal uh, lunch tin or something with you. All right. It is the uh, Rick Emerson radio program. Here's what's coming up today. CNN Radio correspondent Jim Roop uh, will be joining us from Los Angeles as we look towards uh, Sunday's Oscar telecast, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum is going to be joining us from New York City. And we will also talk to the one and only Bob Costantini. Uh, John Taylor from Film.com will be doing a bit of a supplemental appearance with us today. We, uh, she was here on Tuesday, and we didn't, get to, uh, we didn't get to some of the stuff she wanted to talk about, especially because you know, the Oscars are coming up on Sunday, and uh, she uh, does write for uh, TheFilm.com and so forth. So she'll be uh, here later on as well. Uh, Aaron Duran from GeekInTheCity.com will be stepping in, and we'll talk to a Mr. Skin of MrSkin.com. And, and, and just various other and sundry things uh, that have been sort of piling up throughout the week. So we'll get to that. We'll get to your phone calls. We will do. We will announce the uh, the winner of the final pair of Oscar Night America 2009 tickets as well. Uh, that is the winner of the AM 970 listener bailout. The AM 970 listener bailout winner will be announced today. They win another pair of Oscar Night America 2009 tickets. A few tickets still available at filmaction.com. Org and so forth. Don't forget, if you want to sign up uh, for the AM 970 Listener Bailout, you can do that at 970.am, where each and every week we give something to an involuntarily unemployed listener. Uh, the, the final thing we're going to try to get to today, and I say try, is we're going to try to get to this copy of the Westview High School Prowl, which is the student newspaper for Westview High School, which I think is in, um, I think it's in Beaverton. And there's really there's two reasons I care about it. One is well, Susan Reynolds brought this in, and she's like, look at it, because I think it's where her kid goes. She's like, look at the newspaper from my kid's high school. And there's two articles on the front page. One says, ticket sales drop due to tighter dance restrictions. And then right next to it is, inappropriate sexual contact at school surprises population. And it's a whole thing about kids, or I guess, are getting their grind on or something up against the lockers. Paper? It is. And right That's here, huge. Right here in the front, there's a picture. I mentioned this yesterday. Right here in the front, there's this black and white photo of some girl and some guy. You know, like sucking each other's tonsils right there against the locker. So, you know, I mentioned it yesterday. Wasn't out of my That's mouth. wrong. Wasn't out of my mouth 30 seconds. I get an email from some listener, and he's like, Yes, by the way, you'll want to know that that's my daughter on the front page of the paper sucking on some guy's face. As you can imagine, her mother and I are very proud. So there you go. More David and Elise, both seniors, display public affection. Yeah, I believe that Elise is the listener's daughter. 
That's something you uh, that's uh. something you want filed away into a yearbook. All right. It's uh, 503733-2970. We're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon, resplendent today in what appears to be a 90210 uh, shirt. It is a 90210 shirt. It's uh, the hunks of 90210. Is it really? Yeah, I got this when I was younger. It's, uh, yeah, Fantastic. Luke Perry. And now, that's one of those shirts that they had back in the 80s and 90s where it's like they've, it's not a cartoon, but it's like they've taken a photograph and then they've rotoscoped it with crayon, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. It's like they've taken an extant... It looks like the, like the beginning of Saved by the Bell. <laughs> it looks exactly like that. All the colors. It's like a black and white photograph that they've been colored with fluorescent crayons. I was talking to David Walker yesterday about Saved by the Bell because he's uh, a little older than I am and he's just old enough to have no familiarity with Saved by the Bell whatsoever except for the fact that it existed. I mean, he sort of knows that the show was on, but beyond that, he has no knowledge of it. And so I was trying to explain to him... Can you uh, sweep my mic mm-hmm. so slightly? Thank you. I was trying to explain to him your I'm so excited, I'm so excited, I'm so scared shirt because he, he didn't know what it was a reference to. And I was explaining the whole uh, Elizabeth Berkeley thing. But that shirt is a... It's from a very specific era in fashion, mm-hmm. which is where you would go to get you like you go to the Def Leppard concert and you get exactly the same shirt and it was like Joe Elliott's face as though it were done in pastel chalks for some reason. All right, well, it's written they're both like this creepy flesh colored, just like painted on. <laughs> totally. Uh, all right, did you have a satisfying Thursday night? I did. I went to like this. <laughs> I won't name the business or anything. So my friend, you know, Jay, writes for Willamette Week, among other publications, and he got invited to this uh, fancy pants party for some music, like, distribution group or whatever. So went to this party um, in some loft in downtown Portland. The snobbiest people I've ever met. Sorry if you were there. I, I don't mean you. But um, it was just packed full of, like, just like the hipsteriest of all the hipsters, like everyone had black framed glasses, and of there's course. like, you know, sculptures in the corners, and people are like drinking their wine, and like just, and the women are wearing like all these like really fancy dresses and stuff. It was just the most uncomfortable, surreal thing. And you're walking ever. around like a raggedy Ann. Just... No, I'm walking around looking like a hobo. <laughs> like, what am I doing here? <laughs> Pardon me while I store my bindle in the coat check area. Yeah, so we ended up, and then we ended up sneaking my friend Heather in as well. So she's in there. I'm just like, that is classy. I'm like, Heather. Hide under my coat. I know. I'm like, you've just got to, I'm like, walk in. I'm like, what you're going to do is um, we're going to go outside and we're going to have a cigarette and then you're going to walk around the corner and you're going to pretend like you had to leave and you're really mad because you had to go and repark your car. Wait, I'm so confused. What party were you going to that you had to sneak somebody in? How could you? Why were you there and that you had to sneak Heather in? Because so Jay was on the list. And he's like, oh, this is my plus one, and Jake's kind oh, of humbly. And so I was his plus one. But then Heather and I were going to the Dublin Down last night, and so I'm like, oh, you should totally come here. I'm like, you have to see this party. But this guy, there was a door guy there with a list, and he then the door was locked. So you had to go in, and he had like this list. And so it was like a off. full, almost famous thing. If you're not on the list, yeah. So I started talking to the guy like before she got there. It was being all schmoozy, like, oh yeah, blah, 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 talking to him. And then Heather calls me. She's like, I'm downstream. I'm like, I'm like, what do you need you to do? Is you need to look really mad. And be fl- be frustrated because you had to go and repark your car after you had to. So I came back. I'm like, oh, and so I got off the phone with her, and I went back in front of the guy. I'm like, oh yeah, my friend's really mad. You know, she had to leave the party because she had to go and move her car. Excellent. So she comes in. She's just like, because Heather's really quiet by nature anyway. So she just comes in. She's like, looks really annoyed. And he's just like, um, right? Let's just like, oh no, she was already here. And he's like, oh, okay, that's fine. No, that's the thing. It really, people will go out of their way to avoid confrontation. So if you are trying to get into some place, and this is demonstrated perfectly, by the way, in the movie Sneakers, starring Robert Redford, where uh, it's that sequence where they're trying to get in to look at Jen. Uh, black box, which is sitting on his desk, and River Phoenix is there pretending that he's supposed to deliver a whole pile of office papers, and Robert Redford is going, "Will you please push the goddamn buzzer?" Uh-huh. And the people will, people so instinctively just avoid a conflict of any kind 
that they will they will do whatever it takes to just resolve the argument. And if it means avoiding some sort of a confrontation with a woman who looks like she's in kind of a bitchy mood, mm-hmm. they'll totally just wave you by. Absolutely. So. And plus, it was I think it was nice the fact that we were like actual nice people. And everyone else is just. You know, yeah. so snotty and like you know, like people like parading through with like little like dogs. I used stuff. to know a guy. He had this whole thing down where if he wanted to get into like if it was the same thing. If he knew somebody who was inside a club or a bar or whatever, and he couldn't quite get in, they had this whole choreographed deal where his the person who knew who was inside would sort of walk out toward the door guy and they would spill their drink on the door guy's shoes. And it would be like, you know, it would be a lot of like, uh, hey, you know, I'm waiting for somebody to come by. If you have a... And then they would just, they would, you know, trip and then they would spill the drink on the door guy's shoes. Mm. And then while the door guy was doing that in all the chaos and commotion, then the friend outside would just sort of like walk in. Oh, it's all about distractions, all about feeling out, you know, what the person's attitude is. I'm like, how should I approach this? I'm like, does he look like somebody who wouldn't want to confront an angry woman? Should I try and make up a fake name and then say that, that they were supposed to be on the list? And you so know, Sarah... Just as, they, just as fruit that is stolen is twice as uh, sweet as fruit that is grown, getting into a party that you're not supposed to be in makes the party doubly That was it. Like, it was terrible, but it was awesome because yes. it's just like we totally don't belong here. And then went to the Dublin Down last night, and that was really fun for, like, the open mic night thing. And I uh, met some listeners. I met Doug. And um, and then when I was taking the bus downtown yesterday for the snotty party, um, I was on the bus, and the bus driver, Mark, um, was a listener of the show. He's like, are you sure? Hello, Mark. How are you? Hello, uh, Mark. Excellent. Fantastic. All right, so uh, coming up today, in addition to uh, all of the other whatnot, we'll talk to Richie Bristol here in a moment and assess his foundation crisis that he's having today. There's some sort of blemish or blotch or pimple or scab or scar I'm looking forward or something. to this afternoon. Richie and I are going wig shopping and makeup shopping. Well, well that will be exciting. Don't you already own like 15 different wigs? And here's the thing. Before we even start talking about your wigs... I should back up for a second and say, um, so we've gotten some emails about it, about Tom Likas and about, you know, all of the, the many changes that are happening in the radio marketplace. Um, if you heard Tom yesterday, and we had somebody who called us during yesterday's show, and they said, hey, what's up with Tom Likas, and what's up with, because, you know, Adam Carolla, uh, you know, bid farewell today. Today was Adam Carolla's last live show, uh, although they're going to be doing some, uh, you know, they're going to be doing, I think, some sort of, you know, some of the best of, you know, best segments of his show. They're going to be uh, putting those together for the next, you know, however long. Um Anyway, so, but today was Adam Carolla's last live show, and then today, today, Friday, Friday the 20th, I believe is what today is, uh, is actually Tom Likas' last live show, although, uh, again, we're going to be running some of, you know, some, some best ofs and some of the stuff from the archives and some of the, from the history of the show. Such a bummer. Uh, for the foreseeable future, so there's no immediate changes on the horizon. But somebody called me yesterday, and they said, hey, you know, we read this thing on the Internet, what's up with Tom, and is Tom going away, or is he staying? And I said, well, you know, there's, there's nothing... Nothing is changing immediately, but you know there is stuff that's always happening in the topsy turvy world of radio. So stay tuned for details. And so, if you heard Lycus yesterday, you heard him say that today is going to be his last live show, and he did really a great two hours of radio. He did uh, Lycus One Hundred and One actually earlier than he typically does. It's typically five to seven, but yesterday he did Lycus One Hundred and One three to five. And then at five o'clock he made the announcement. He said, "By the way, Friday tomorrow, which is now today." It's going to be my final live show, and after that, the station in Los Angeles that is the flagship for his show is going to be changing formats. They're going to be doing something else, which is going to leave him without a uh, you know without a microphone at least for for the time being. Uh, so today, which is Friday, today is going to be the last live Tom Lika show at least for this period of time. And I mean, you know, the future holds whatever it holds. Uh, you know, so one way or the other, uh, you know, that will. You know, That'll turn out however it turns out. And I'm not saying that to be deliberately vague, just because you, you just don't know. You just, anything could happen or, or not happen. But what we do know is this, is that today 
uh, from 3 to 5 p.m. And that is today. Today, from 3 to 5 p.m., is the final live Tom Likas broadcast, uh, at least for this period of time. And again, you know, whatever happens in the future is uh, is going to happen in the future. It's not going to happen today. Today is his final live broadcast, and then at 5 o'clock today... We will continue to air the Tom Likas show, and we have some things, as they say, you know, from the archives and from the history of his program that we're going to be airing for, you know, for at least the next the next little while. But his live broadcast ceases today at five, and it's not going to be. I know they're not going to podcast it. They're not going to. It's not going to be archived online, at least officially, anywhere. So, if you're a fan of Tom Likas, you've been listening to him. If you want to, you know, kind of hear him wrap everything up, that is this afternoon from three to five. So you want to be listening then. Uh, that is at 3 to 5. And he's very clear about this. That at 5 o'clock today, uh, his live broadcast uh, will cease. So, um, yeah, so if you call up with additional questions, you want you know, you call up and ask uh, you know what this means for everything else, you can ask. I don't really know that we're going to have a lot of answers for you at this point because some of that stuff is still being finalized and worked out and whatever. Uh, you know, I will say that there's nothing else really major uh, on the horizon in terms of changes or alterations or whatever. You know, that being said, it's like 11.21. And who knows? You know, by... That we could be a Spanish station by noon, for all I know. I mean, really, it's just like with any given day, you, you just, you, you know, you never know. But as of now, uh, Lycus is wrapping things up today. Um, we are going to continue to carry Lycus for the next couple weeks. And at some point, there'll be a more uh, permanent change made, probably. And you know, you'll know when you'll know when everything is sort of finalized. And Richie's spilling his makeup all over the counter, and I'm trying very hard to conduct a serious broadcast. Turn off his microphone. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, so that's coming up today. So you don't want to miss that. Uh, all right, uh, Richie Bristol, what are you what are you doing? Sorry. He's rummaging around. He has CoverGirl makeup. Oh, no. you realize the Oscars aren't till Sunday, right? You realize you do have like 48 hours to be working on this. But he's seeing Darcel's I don't know what tonight. I'm doing. Oh, that's right. That's right. You're going to Darcel's tonight. Are we all going to Darcel's yes, tonight? Yes, we're going to Darcel's tonight. I somehow completely forgot been. about that. I've never been. I am so excited. Yeah. Right. I got to get rid of this cover girl, though. I can't let Darcel see it. All right. Well, so Richie's lost what? his makeup person for Sunday. You have to get ready. You know what's really going to help doing. you a lot, Richie, is if you start over-dramatizing everything. I don't think you're taking everything quite seriously enough. If I were you, <laughs> if I were you, Richie, what I'd do is I'd take things like your makeup and I would uh, blow them up until they're the most important thing in your life and you become completely neurotic about it. That's probably going to help you a whole deal. <laughs> but I have to make up. I have to. I right. got nails and... That's okay. We're going to take a break here. We'll come back on the other side. Uh, we're going to talk to CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. We will uh, follow up more with Richie Bristol and his various And we've got to go wig shopping. He keeps finding little, like, no, short wigs. That's what I was going to say earlier. And then I, I, held, I, I bit my tongue and I held back, A, because I wanted to talk about the Lycus thing, and B... Because I'm really uh, nobody to talk about anybody else's wigs, but it does seem like you just buy, keep buying the same wig over and over again. That's my thing. It's like Sarah at one point correctly accused me of just buying the same shirt over and over again, which I did for a long time. It was basically this weird kind of plaid thing. And I would just buy variations on the same shirt repeated like eight, nine, ten, you know, 12,000 times in a row. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that's kind of what you're doing with your wig, where every single wig you get just looks like Liza Minnelli in that movie, A Sterile Cuckoo. That's it. It's like that one wig over and over again. So it seems like, have you thought about maybe maybe a longer, more uh, lustrous wig with more body? I tried one on. I looked funny. Because he's got, like, am I right about this? The, the wig he's got now is, like, short and kind of thatchy. It's all of them are. They're, like, like you keep getting these, like, sorry, like these 80s, like, you know, power wig. That it's like a Susan Powder kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah, I gotta like get one bad. that covers my cauliflower ears. No, but Darcel, <laughs> Darcel told you like you're not becoming a woman. You're a man dressed as a woman, and therefore you need to be 
like exuberant and look like you're trying to be feminine. Like with those that you just look like some like random like indie rock boy walking down the street on Hawthorne. That's right. really that's the other thing you should do is not not only uh, not only should you dwell on this to the point of getting some sort of an ulcer, uh, you should also <laughs> walk into a wig store and say, "Do you have something to cover my misshapen ears? <laughs> I would appreciate it if you would help me cover my ear-based deformities. I'd be ever so grateful." We're gonna get Richie something fabulous tonight. Oh, that's fantastic! Man. You guys getting your nails done at the same time? We're not getting our nails did. All right. But um. I need my toes painted. I'm not going to paint your toes. That is gross. No. In what world do you think that Sarah's going to paint your toes? The only ladies to, ladies I've ever painted is my grandmother's, and that's and really? I will not be painting yours. Yeah. I mean, you think you have people who do that? Can't you go and pay somebody to paint yeah. your toes? I'm going to yeah, go. Yeah, but I got to wait till after I have MMA practice. <laughs> I'm not going to control it. All right. I realize oh, now that I... Said. We shouldn't have delved into it. <laughs> I realize now that I, I just don't want to be talking about this. All right. We'll take a break. We'll come back after this. Steve Kastenbaum later on. Don Taylor, Aaron Duran, Mr. Skin, more of your phone calls, and more. It's Friday on the Rick Emerson Show. Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Now, you were just applying makeup just moments ago. No, because I just saw myself in the bathroom, like, because I just got up this morning <laughs> and ate a bowl of cereal and then jumped on my bike and came to work, so. I'm not it's one of those things where you just kind of catch. Do you ever just catch I look at myself and I'm like, oh, my God, I've been walking around all morning looking <laughs> like this. <laughs> Do you remember one of those days where you just catch a glimpse of yourself and you realize, oh, God. Seriously, I've had like multiple conversations with people today. I'm like, and I looked like that. And nobody. And here's the other thing: is that I'm, I'm not saying you look bad, but I'm saying if there ever ever is one of those days where you just, where you, and it's always at like at around I don't know 4:15 in the afternoon, where you kind of catch yourself in the mirror and you go, wait a minute, oh, oh for the love of, and then you <laughs> you realize like with me, here's what it always is with me. With me, it's never like something stuck in my teeth. Or like a cow lick or something. It's always like some big patch of whiskers on my face that I missed or that I didn't even realize. Was or, you know, or it's like you got, I don't know, you got schmutz or something like, uh, you know, like stuck in the corner of your eye. And you realize, like, everybody's had to look at this all day. Mm-hmm. And they were all so horrified that they couldn't bring themselves to mention it. Um, there's uh, somebody, and by somebody I mean Aaron Duran, who uh, I went out to, uh, I was like, I got coffee or lunch or something with Aaron, I don't know, a few months back. And, you know, Aaron does that thing, he, like, he shaves the head now, mm-hmm. which looks good. It's oh, good yeah, look. like Mrs. Little Patch. See, so I'm not the only one who's, who's seen it, so you saw it, too. I've seen it, but I didn't want to say anything. No, see, me either. So, Aaron, if you're listening, uh, you know who you are. <laughs> you're Aaron Duran. No, I was sitting here having lunch with him, and the whole time I'm I thought thinking, maybe it was intentional, so that's why I didn't want to say. I anything. thought maybe there was like some injury there. Because no, my friend, it. no, because my friend Kurt um, used to have like shave his entire head. A soul patch, but on the top of his exactly, head. Exactly, but it'd be on the side, so he used to call him Puff Daddy because <laughs> he had like this big puff of hair that he'd just leave. It looks like Ada BC on Oz. All right, well, all right. In any of it, I'm just saying, you can always point these things out. I'd rather you just have the moment of awkwardness where you go. It, by the way, you got some uh, crap on your face. It, they're just letting me just walk around like a knob and 4:15 look in the mirror and go, oh, for the love of. It's like it's like one thing. We'll get we'll get Steve Cashman in like five seconds here. Do you ever do this? And I'm not talking to you, Sarah, because I know you smell of daisies all the time. But occasionally, you'll 
you walk around a corner, or you'll turn to pick something up, and it's like you create your own low-pressure system for a second where the breeze kind of goes with you, and you kind of just realize that maybe it, maybe your deodorant wasn't quite doing the job that day. doesn't happen to me all that often, but every now and again. And you kind of turn real quickly, and then the air follows afterward, and you kind of go, wait, who was... Oh, God, no. And it's always when there's, there's nothing available, so you have to walk to the plaid pantry and pay $6 for that tiny little, like, one-shot serving of the odor, which makes you smell like a lilac factory. No good. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. From New York City, CNN radio correspondent Steve Castavetta. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. On a scale of 1 to 72, how well would you say you're doing today? Oh, if you're going to go 1 to 72, I'd probably say uh, 56. Six. All right, then. What could I do to make these, uh, this experience so satisfying that you get up to, like, a 65? Oh, huh. I, that's, a, that's a really good question. What could you do? I mean, it has to be something tangible. And when you say that it's a really good question, uh, I can tell that by that you mean it's a question that you don't really, uh, that you don't really care about. So that's okay. No, well, I'm thinking what could you actually do that would make, make my number go up? I can tell more anecdotes about my body odor. Perhaps you'd find that amusing. <laughs> I'm just saying the radio station, I mean, and thank God for this, because uh, radio people are scum, and we're all uh, just constantly reeking and hungry, that we are directly across the street from a convenience store. And so I would say that probably, I mean, uh, just a conservative estimate, like 32% of that store's foot traffic comes from CBS Portland, from this building right here. And it's just, it is just a, sort of this endless uh, procession of people walking over to the convenience store and then walking back. And then you walk in there, and it's like the convenience store, they do that thing. Everybody complains about the markup on, like, toiletry items where you have to buy, like, a razor or something, and it's, like, $14. And it was like, well, who would possibly buy this? But the thing is, they only need to sell, like, one of those a week because that's the equivalent of selling, you know, like, nine razors at a regular price. And so, lest anybody think I'm just sort of making that story up for, like, uh, you know, for, for comedic value, I did have to walk across the street to, it's called the Plaid Pantry, to the Plaid Pantry across the street, I don't know, probably... I don't know, four months ago, because I'd, I'd come to work and I was just kind of, I don't know, I, 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 it's like I'd showered or something and I, I realized I'd forgotten to put on a deodorant. So I walk in, you know, I don't wish to offend. So I walk to the plaid pantry and there is this thing of arid extra dry. I, I swear to God, it must have been all of two inches high. I, I'm guessing there's maybe an application and a half in there, possibly. How much do you think? A small, and to call it travel size is even being too generous. I mean, it was minuscule. How much do you uh, expect that I paid for that, Steve Castamount? I'm going to say two thirty-nine. $7. Oh, come on. It was really? $6.99. Come on. And I mean, and I, 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 I had $6.99, and I buy it, and I come back, and I duck into the unisex bathroom, and I, uh, you know, I lock the door, and I lift my shirt, and then I'm putting on the deodorant, and then you realize it's not really like an antiperspirant or even a deodorant so much as it is just like... It's like a car air freshener that they've just mashed into the shape of an underarm applicator. I, I, it really was like I had been dipped inside the assembled contents of a Woolworths cosmetics counter. Um, Seven dollars on it. Well, what do you? But I mean, is it, but at what at what price? Uh, courtesy, you know what I mean? Like, how? What is the breaking point for no longer caring if people smell your horrible body scent? But you couldn't have smelled that. I mean, did you shower last night or this morning? Well, I mean, I mean, I had showered, but it's a bit, of course, you know, one exerts oneself doing a popular talk show. I mean, it's not, uh, this, is, this isn't an effort-free program we do here. It's true. So, in any event. Wow, I, I mean, I, $7, I'm, I'm shocked, number one. 
Number two, I would have just said uh, take uh, you know a little paper towel out of the bathroom and, and the hand soap and do a little touch-up. I would have just covered the underside of my arms with cornstarch, which I guess maybe I could have done. But, you know, I... Uh... But I'm just gullible, so what are you going to do? Wow, I'm surprised. $7? What's that guy's markup? That's I, unbelievable. I, but, but see, you must, I mean, I don't, you know, look, I don't know how it is in the big uh, city in New York, Steve Kassaman. Now, here's a color me dumb, uh, because, you know, when I go to New York, you know, you don't like convenience store shopping there, because in a way, everything is a convenience store in certain parts of New York, but then again, nothing is a convenience store, because it's just, you know what I mean? There's nothing but little markets. So, but I, I just, but I don't think there's anything like it's not like you got a Seven Eleven on every corner uh, or something. No, but you know what we have? We have Dwayne Reeds on every corner. Uh, I don't think they've have they made them out to the West Coast. No, it's, uh, it's a drugstore chain here, sort of like a, a Walgreens or, or a Genovese or a CVS, except it started in Manhattan, and uh, they're as ubiquitous here on, uh, as as Starbucks is in, in every major city. In fact. I kid you not, there are some corners where there are Dwayne Reed drugstores on, on more than one corner. And, you know, you'll have two stores on the same corner. The thing about it is that the, 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 the foot traffic, though, completely supports it. The economy is, I would say, if you look at a pie chart of the American economy, you're going to see that sales made at convenience store purchases, especially uh, purchases you didn't really, uh, you know, or sale, purchases made at convenience stores, especially those you didn't mean to make, and especially those made after 2 a.m., and especially those made after 2 a.m. when you're drunk, and especially those made after 2 a.m. when you're drunk and you're hungry, uh, and especially those made after 2 a.m. when you're drunk and you're hungry, and you know you're going to be late, so you got to buy some sort of a weird uh, bad silk rose to take home to your girlfriend that comes in like a, like a plasticky thing for $4. That probably accounts for, I don't know, 15% of the gross national product. I mean, there's, that's, that's the reason that they continue to exist. So, anyway, don't, don't even get me started on food. I mean, you've, have you, let me ask you this. Have you ever bought a box of cereal, especially a, like a specialty cereal, like a, like a Captain Crunch at a convenience store? I've done it at the drugstore, which I think is the, is the same mistake. You I mean, know? it really, it's like buying part of a rent-controlled apartment. I mean, it's just unbelievably expensive. But, you know, what are you going to do? It's 3 in the morning. you got to have Captain Crunch. I mean, there's really only so many options available uh, to you. So, um, well, I, there's probably no no uh, good segue here, but uh, there's a couple of things going on. So one is, so I guess, speaking of, speaking of money in the economy and buying and purchasing and so forth, you would think that the stimulus thing would finally... They help uh, like the like the Dow go up uh, a little, but it has like the lowest in what, five years, six years, something like that. It hit a low. It it it, it really got down to uh, an eleven year low, more or less, uh, today during the trading day. But uh, I predicted this towards the end of the day on a Friday. I predicted that we would see uh, a surge, and it's starting already because it was down well over two hundred points, and it was really flirting with uh, an eleven year low. Uh, it's now uh, down only 54 points, and it's making its way back up. And I, and I predicted this today because it's Friday. It's the end of the day. There's uh, when it, Whenever it's a really bad uh, market on a Friday like this, there tends to be uh, a surge of buyers out there at the end of the day before, the, before we hit the weekend, before it, we hit the slopes. It's got to, I mean, it's one of those things where, I mean, you know that everything is, as they say, it's like steering a barge, you know, and you can't turn it around in a dime, and it takes months and years. And whatever. Ali Velshi was pointing at one of his patented. They ought to just have the chart on CNN. It's just called the thing that terrifies you today chart. Yeah. Like they, you know, like in USA Today, I don't know if they still do this, but in USA Today, they used to have that, like that infographic or something, a look at the statistics that shape our lives. And it would always be a question followed by, again, like a chart or a graph or some sort of a, a diagram. And it would say something like, 
You know, what are you know, what are we having for breakfast? And then, you know, 15%. Breakfast burrito, 42%. Nothing. 9%. Whatever we found underneath the sofa cushions or something. They ought to have one of those things that they do on CNN. What is scaring the holy bejesus out of us today? And Ali Velshaw talking about the auto industry saying that GM is saying that they're going to have to sell 12 million cars a year just to break even. Oh, and by the way, they're not even going to start doing that till 2012. Uh, and so when you know Obama comes in and they've got their stimulus package and they're trying to make things better, it's got to be just kind of a just kind of a big punch in the junk when he then turns on television the next day and it's and the Dow continues to slide to a six-year low, and then everybody just decides to go out drinking all night. Well, let me tell you, if you've got like you know just a few hundred dollars burning a hole in your pocket right now, it's there are some stocks out there that I mean you know I was talking to Ali Velshi about this uh, yesterday. We just can't imagine the landscape without Ford and General Motors. As bad as they're doing, we just don't see them disappearing, right? So Ford right now, its stock is selling at $1.54 a share. GM is selling at $1.80 a share. Buy yourself, you know, like 20 or 30 shares of those. What are you losing if, if they do go under? $60 for each company, you know? But what you stand to gain if they do bounce back and keep and you keep your money there for a long time. You know that 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 sixty dollars is going to turn into six hundred dollars. Well, I'm going to tell you. For me, I'm just going to go to the uh, I'm going to go to the Prozac heavy portfolio. So <laughs> I'm just going to start buying. And I think Prozac has gone uh, generic. I think at this point, but I'm just going to find some company that is a major manufacturer of pharmaceutical antidepressants, and that's where I'm going to put my that's going to put my entire investment. My wife had this whole thing about. You know the uh, the so-called sin fund, where it's just like uh, it's just like cigarettes and alcohol and uh, like gun companies and gambling. I'm just going to invest in nothing but like Wellbutrin and uh, you know Well Wellbutrin and uh, like uh, Valium stock or whatever. Because I got to tell you, that's a that's a that's a product in which you're going to see interest surge over the next few years. That would just be my speculation. I don't know. I see these stocks and I like I look at my discretionary spending funds in my budget and I'm thinking, you know, hey, I can forego, uh, you know, some pizza for a couple of weeks uh, and buy uh, like, you know, 20 shares of Bank of America now at $3.53 a share, you know? It's just a whole lot of a, it's just a whole lot of a weirdness out there. I mean, it really is like one step removed from that big It seems like it's not even so much they say really roulette is always the gambling analogy of choice. They say, "Well, you're just playing roulette or Russian roulette." It, it's not even so much roulette anymore when you try to figure out where to put your money. It's that big ass that money wheel they have in the casino that's just for rubes and people from Kansas uh, where it's just like a it's like the wheel of fortune wheel but it's upended and it's just got bills all over it. And, you know, and they're spinning it, and there's always two groups of entertainers uh, there at the Money Wheel. There's the guy spinning it who try, you know, has to try to, like, sucker in these people from Topeka. And then there's the people playing it who then amuse the rest of us who watch them. Uh, and so that really seems to be what the investment uh, market is like. Right now, before we, before we go, though, um, I do want to ask about this New York Post thing. We were discussing this yesterday, this, I mean, just this insane political cartoon they ran uh, where it was a picture of, like the, a, a dead uh, a chimp, you know, they've been gunned down, which is, I guess, you know, the reference to the Travis the chimp or whatever that had gone nuts and, and shoot on that woman's uh, on that woman's face the other day. You know, they transferred her to uh, Cleveland Clinic, the hospital where they did the first and only face transplant. The, Anderson Cooper was saying that last night. He's like, is she going to be a candidate for a face transplant? Which is, I think, the only way that the story could become weirder at this point. But then the New York Post ran this uh, this uh, editorial cartoon showing the, the chimp full of bullet holes, and then the cops are over him, and the caption is something like, we'll need to find somebody to write the next stimulus package, which, 
it seems like you can you can run the cartoon or you can act shocked at the outrage, but you can't really do both. Like you can't. Because I think the cartoonist at one point went, I have no idea why people have a problem with this. I don't understand it. So what is their stance on that today? So they were saying, you know, that uh, basically they were saying, you know, the stimulus package uh, is horrible. What, the, what he's saying the message was, was, you know, the stimulus package is ridiculous. Uh, you know, it, was, it looks like it was written by, you know, by a chimpanzee. It's so ridiculous is what he was saying, right? So the people who are protesting the New York Post are, are saying, are you kidding me? This is a direct uh, racial stereotype, a uh, racist stereotype that has a deep, long-rooted, dark history in America where you're, you're comparing our president, who is an African-American, to a primate, which is, you know, there's a long, dark history of that happening here in the United States, and it's well-documented that that comparison had been made for hundreds of years. So uh, the, the New York Post is saying, oh, come on, you've got to be kidding us here. This was a jab at the stimulus and if anything, that, that chimpanzee represented Nancy Pelosi because she wrote the bill. And so that, those are the two sides of the argument there. Uh, but the New York Post did apologize to people today on their website. They apologized only to people who were offended by this who thought it was a thinly veiled uh, racist uh, ex, um, expression, expression of racism. Uh, but they said no apology is in order for the people who have had problems with the New York Post in the past, who've taken them to task in the past, meaning our good old friend, and I'm going to play him for you, Reverend Al Sharpton. We intend to, on several levels, show that people's feelings, people's heritage, people's pride, more important, people's self-respect, right. cannot be compromised. I want to create some sort of a web application uh, that you can just plug in, like a noun, and it's like, and then Al Sharpton will will become angry about it and scream about whatever it is, you know. Like I can complain that they took great pop tarts off the market. And be like, we this injustice will not stand, you know. And he can just sort of yell about it for me. Okay. All right. I think I think that would uh, you, you can make the I don't know. Is there an Al Sharpton doll? There there really ought to be. I think you're I think you've just spotted a niche in the market, sir. Yeah. Uh, I think so. On that note, uh, we are going to uh, uh, roll on our merry way here. So have a fantastic weekend. We will talk to you uh, next week, sir. Take care. There you go. Seeing a radio correspondent, Steve Kastenbaum, ladies and gentlemen. All right, it's 503-733-2970. In just one moment, we will talk to uh, our good friend Bob Costantini. Coming up at noon, uh, we will be joined by uh, Don Taylor of Film.com. We'll talk about the uh, Oscars as they're coming up. Jim Rupp will weigh in on that as well. Aaron Duran will announce the final winner of our Oscar Night America 2009 ticket giveaway. That's oh, the yeah, winner that's of this week's. Sunday. Yes, it is, Sarah. Oh, boy. I don't have anything to wear. I have something to wear. I know, because you can wear a tux. That's a kind of right. dress or something. I'm going to go pick that up this afternoon. And the great thing about it, by the way, is no matter what time of year it is, no matter whether it's a weekday, weekend, fall, uh, summer, spring, doesn't matter. Whenever you go into the tux place, there will always be some pimply-faced, gangly, greasy-haired youth in there with his girlfriend trying to buy a tux for the big dance that's coming up. Welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. From Washington, D.C. Bob Costantini. Hello, Rick. Hello, sir. How are, you? How are you? I'm just trying to mix it up and keep things interesting. How's life in the uh, the world of uh, the Costantinis? The Costantinis are doing fine. I have uh, uh, really we're uh, uh, we're managing to keep a job, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> Can I? Who was who was it that I was talking to? Oh, it was my wife. My wife and I were having this discussion last night. It's funny, and by funny I mean terrifying, that you say that. Well, lucky to have a job. 
Yeah. I was talking to my wife last night, and we you know, we live in a house what we rent, we don't own. And my landlord had had been by yesterday to do something or other, to look at something or wrap something and something. And and he was talking to my wife, and you know normally it's like, a, so what have you been up to lately? Seen any good movies? Do you know any interesting jokes? That's normally the way the conversation goes. Yeah. Literally, the first question out of my landlord's mouth to my wife yesterday was, so does everybody still have a job? <laughs> I mean, she told me this last night, and that's, I mean, on the one hand, he obviously wants to make sure we can keep paying the rent, but I mean, I guess that's the new icebreaker, and she said, well, everybody here does, how about you, everybody have a job where you live, and he said, well, for the moment, and it's just odd that, I mean, that that is just the way that, you know, eight times out of ten, we're choosing to open conversations at this point. Well, too many people, uh, in particular uh, renters, are having problems uh, in this particular uh, economy, because their landlords uh, may be having trouble paying their mortgages. Right, right. And sometimes they get kicked to the curb uh, even though they're paying the rent. It's all deeply unnerving, Bob. That's what yeah. it is. Um, sure. Hey, so, well, I, and I know that there's this the, the stimulus package, which I was actually talking to somebody about this this morning, that, you know, maybe this is going to impact. We've got this light rail uh, thing that they've been yeah. trying to speed along it just forever and ever and ever, and it just seems bogged down like it's in a La Brea tar pit. But now they're saying that the stimulus package might actually have real tangible concrete results in cities, things like getting my rail done or getting, you know, the sort of figurative pothole filled. But I never in, I never just instinctively believe that. I always secretly feel that it's just going to go spiraling down some big uh, waste suck somewhere. But, you know, you tell me. I mean, I know that Obama's talking to mayors about it, right? Um, yes. I think it's called the WES or WES or whatever. Sure. Your light rail system? Oh, no. No, no, no. Uh, I don't believe so. Sarah? Is our light rail system called Wes? I don't know. No, no, Max is what it's called. <laughs> Max, okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know if uh, speaking of which, I don't, I don't know if um, uh, Mayor uh, uh, if Mayor Adams was there. I don't think Mayor Sam Adams is being invited to a lot of uh, presidential get-togethers these yeah. days. That's uh, just call it a hunch. I, I don't know, um, uh, but uh, it. It might not be surprising. I think he's sitting at a card table with John Edwards somewhere right now. Out in the garage, realizing that Grandma has to die before you get invited back to the big table. The, um, there were 85 mayors at the White House today. Yes. And um, uh, the president talked to them about the stimulus and how this will uh, in eventually uh, trickle down to them from uh, you know, the states. They're going to be getting the money first. Uh, can I ask you a question? Sure. Why did things have to trickle down? Why can't they just give us the money? Because they believe, the belief here is that the states are giving, are getting grants out of all this and that states uh, will determine how best to spend this money rather than, it's, it's a way for the Democrats in Congress to say, well, we have no earmarks in this bill. Um, you know, we're, we're letting the states decide where the money should go. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, not that I got, please, let's understand. I'm not, not holding you, uh, I'm not holding you sure. accountable for the decisions of, uh, you know, like the entire, uh, United States government and their economic policies. But when they say that trickling down, that always just seems like, trickling down always just seems like code for, we're going to do this as slowly as possible and we're going to drag out this problem for every month that we possibly can, as opposed to just bypassing all the different layers of government and just giving it to people who actually need the money. You know, because it supposes, I think, that like politicians at a state level aren't incompetent and inept uh, and corrupt, which they almost certainly are, just because everyone is. So it, just, it seems like a weird, uh, it seems like a weird non-solution. Well, there is a, uh, some certain percentage of this money that uh, will be coming 
um, to the state will have to be put into transportation. Um, some of it will, you know, public transit. Uh, there, in fact, there's a, a significant boost in what was originally in the bill uh, for public transportation projects, if you're mentioning the light rail system there. Um, so, you know, that, that obviously helps the metropolitan area as a whole. Um, what happens, you know, to bridges and, you know, you, you, you folks will know a lot better um, what bridge needs to be repaired. It's called, uh, the, Selwood, it's called the Selwood Bridge. <laughs> Selwood. I, and I swear to God, here's the thing you need to know about the Selwood Bridge, Bob Costantini. Yeah. It actually is so bad that, well, there's one thing I know that's true and one thing that they always say that may just be an urban legend. The urban legend is that the guy who actually designed and built the Selwood Bridge won't drive on it himself because he feels like it's going to fall over one of these days. And well, the other, be a lot. <laughs> the, the other thing is, if you drive over the Selwood Bridge uh, here in Portland, and by the way, when I say bridge, you know, it's a it's a bridge like it's not made out of rope. It's not that thing from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom that you're like hacking away with. It's a, it's made of concrete and steel and whatever. There's a big sign on it saying like trucks do not drive across this bridge. If you are in a truck, turn back now. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't fill everybody with confidence. So that's the sort of thing that I would like to see fixed. They came with a ready to go report of uh, about eighteen thousand projects um, in uh, cities. Um, that uh, could be started as soon as the money arrives, and that could be, you know, some of them will cost uh, a couple million here or there, et cetera. Uh, some of them will cost uh, multi-million dollars, but a, a total of um, infrastructure spending on this uh, stimulus plan is $150 billion total. Most of it, as I mentioned, is going to be doled out to the states. Some states don't want it. Uh, some states, particularly those uh, led by Republicans uh, who might run for president in 2012, uh, are, are saying no thanks. You but, know, uh, anybody who's saying they don't want it, that's just, uh, you know what it is? That's just, that's a little bit of, uh, that's just uh, that's just bragging is what that is. That's just like when, that's just, you know what that is? That's like uh, when somebody offers you a second piece of pie at dinner, you go, no, 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 I couldn't possibly. And then later when nobody's looking and, you know, the dishes have all been cleared and moved into the kitchen, you excuse yourself saying that you're going to get a glass of water and really you go into the kitchen, you shove a gigantic wedge of blueberry pie into your mouth. And you swallow it and go back out into the living room, and nobody knows you consumed it. That's exactly what this is, because they're just going to screw people out of that money some other way. But by the way, West does exist, Bob. You were right, and I was right. wrong about this. West is the light rail system coming from Wilsonville to oh. Portland, okay. and they claim it opened last month, so it's already running, which is the first I've heard of it. Nobody tells okay. me anything. I've been doing a little research on the internet, as you said. You know, <laughs> you can obviously tell. Right. Are you angling for? Are you are you angling for a local show? Are you? <laughs> Very pretty trains, it looks like. Very. Let nice. me show you how, how relatable I can be to your uh, to the market. All right. Um, yes. On that note, sir, do you have big plans for your weekend? Uh, the plans for the weekend are possibly to go actually stimulate the economy and buy a car. Really? Uh, because uh, like that bridge there in Portland, the Costantini's cars are uh, almost undrivable. So wait, we'll see. Wait, hold on. Wait, hold on. You're buying. You see, you're actually now. If I may ask, uh, it's none of yeah. my business. Are you buying a new or used car? Uh, my wife almost insists on buying a new car. Um, she does not trust any used car, and um, so we'll uh, we'll somehow manage this. You know, here's the thing that's interesting about used cars, Bob Costantini. I don't know if this is like a nationwide thing or if this is a thing they just have in the Northwest. When you go looking at a, at a used car, to used car lot, do you see that uh, that jazz they put on the window that this the sign, and it says. There's like the two boxes. One says with warranty, and the other one says like as is, is no yeah. warranty. Would you ever read the fine print in that as is no warranty thing? Uh, I've never 
Okay. Uh, the I've next, never looked at it that carefully. The ne- you, here's it. why you should do that. And, uh, and everybody who's looked at this knows what I'm talking about. If you look at the fine print, when you go to a used car lot and it says, check, you know, they check the box, it says, as is, no warranty. Yeah. Read it closely, and it says the following, and I'm, uh, I may get a word or two wrong here, but it says something very close to, this car is sold as is with no warranties or guarantees upon the cars, you know, durability, yep. whatever, regardless of any oral statements made about the vehicle by the seller, <laughs> which is effectively just the permission for some jackass to lie to you. Uh, about the fact that the car is going to blow up uh, three and a half miles down the road, and they're going to be picking your body parts out of uh, shrubs three counties over. So previously owned. I'm just uh, seriously. That's what it is. Uh, is there anything you're not telling me about this car? No. There's nothing we're not telling you. And meanwhile, what they're not telling you is that the trunk is full of weevils, uh, and you know that the engine was filled with peanut butter by a precocious five-year-old a few years back. And maybe they cleaned up the blood. Yeah. No, they can never clean up the blood. They can, they, can, they can clean up the hair, but not so yeah. much the blood, Bob. All right. Have a good weekend. Enjoy your brand-new you automobile, sir. Take care. Uh, there you Thanks. go. Uh, Bob Costantini, ladies and gentlemen, joining us from there. I love that guy. So, apparently they've opened light rail from Wilsonville to Portland. Please don't take offense if you live in Wilsonville, but what is that about? I don't even know where Wilsonville is. Yes. <laughs> you know you've lived here for like a decade, right? I know. Wilsonville's that way. It's um. It's oh, that way. <laughs> Wilsonville. Here's the thing. I don't really. To me, there is no town of Wilsonville. I don't even know where Tualatin is. Like I or Beaverton. Like I know it's on Highway 26 somewhere. Like that way. You're so cute. <laughs> um, even I know where Beaverton is. And I was a traffic reporter for like three years. I would just make stuff up. I'm telling you now. Made it up. By the way, that should. It just, I was just going to say, <laughs> just just in case anybody was sort of wondering about the veracity of traffic reporting in Portland. Sarah was a traffic I got paid reporter. I to talk about traffic, and I had no idea what I was doing. Pulling everything out of various orifices. What's oh. up with the traffic, Sarah? Well, I'll tell you, and it's all about the competent like, oh, tone of voice. Look, your curves look like they're quite messy right now. You <laughs> can stop and go traffic on 217 as you approach the I-5 interchange. Yeah. Just making it up. Oh, making it up as I'm going along. Making it up, batting your eyelashes at the camera. On TV, making that stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. I only know where Beaverton is, guys, where the CW studios are. That's where I, that's where I tape the, the Outlook Portland show. I have been to Tualatin intentionally once. I don't think I've ever intentionally driven to Tualatin again. I think it was just the one time. Here's the thing about Wilsonville. To me, it's like you, know, if you ever look at one of those wacky cartoon maps of the United States, and each state has a sort of exaggerated, uh, sort of funny drawing of that state's landmark. So you look at the kooky map of the U.S., and there's like a big cartoony st- uh, space needle in Washington, and there's like a big, you know, like Mickey Mouse uh, head or something, and you know, like in, in near Los Angeles. To me, when I look at Wilsonville, it's really just fries. That's all it is. I mean, it, it's the it's the Friesville. Oh, that's Wilson. I thought that see? was Woodburn or something. No, no, no. See, no, no. Woodburn is where the where the Welch's grape uh, grape uh, jelly factory. The only is. thing I know about Wilsonville is that George lives there. <laughs> no, and that and. And that's the other thing, is I don't think I'm alone in this, too. I know various outlying cities based upon what company, store, factory, or industry is there. For example, Woodburn is where Welch's Jelly is based. Uh, Wilsonville is where Fry's is based. Beaverton is uh, where there's a cheesecake factory every 15 miles, uh, interspersed with a a Quiznos and a Chili's. I mean, that's really how I I operate. uh, That is my world, Sarah. Welcome to it. All right. It's uh, 503-733-2970. We'll just uh, kind of uh, roll right into talking to our good friend Chris Paddock from uh, Rock 101 KUFO and Jammin 1075. Hello on KCMD Portland. How are you, sir? I am uh, just 
awesome, and uh, I am so glad to be here. I was leafing through some of the news stories as you guys were talking. I'm oh. sorry I wasn't really paying attention, but uh, you didn't there was put a story. Them out of order, right? No, of course not. Okay. <laughs> uh, there was a story about something from my hometown of Tucson that I found awesome. Would you like to share that with us now? Perhaps um, a bit well, of a no, it's just preamble. About preamble. It's about this girl who gets uh, stopped after going to a slightly stupid concert, and uh, she's saying, "Oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I can drive." Well, she is actually. Not okay because her blood alcohol content was a .188, and she was thinking maybe she would be able to sober up by going to Chipotle, having a burrito, and then having two more shots. <laughs> so well, you've got to bookend that burrito. In, in, in my in my university newspaper, we used to have that uh, as the police beat. We would yeah. have like those little stories, so it was very. Wait, well, yeah, I very think cool. there ought to be some sort of a door prize for drunkenness, though. You know what I mean? Just as a way to clean out the gene pool a little bit faster. Well, I used to explain to a lot of the guys I would work it with is I would love to go to the strip clubs to sober up after a night of drinking, and then someone pointed out. But, dude, you are still drinking at the strip club, so that is not really sobering up. I said, but if I'm having a bu- bu- uh, like a, a Bud Light, that's not so bad. No, so, well, you know, we, you know, you don't want to quit cold turkey, even in one night. No, never. Even no. in a night's drinking, no. you've got to step it down. No. no, and I also like to try to feel like I'm a little more superior by talking to the strippers. Well, did you ever – Mocking the customers. <laughs> Making them feel better, better about what they do. Really? Oh, all the time. This has suddenly become a very odd conversation. Wow. It got really weird all of a sudden. What is that song, Sarah? The uh, is that Bloodhound <laughs> Gang song, or is it? Is it? Oh, it's always good when the uh, the lap dance is always better when the stripper's crying. No, see, it's true. That has the added advantage of being a valuable life yeah. lesson as well. This is why I'm not allowed out of the house all that often. Well, it's like when you did you ever go to that place, the Deja Vu. The Vu. The Vu. In uh, the Valley, I would go to the Vu. There was is a, there de- a Deja Vu Deja here. Vu, the one on Powell. Uh, I don't know. Those, I don't know. Those no, that's Deja No, there's no, that's Deja No, no, no. Deja Vu is a strip club that I. Uh, I don't know if it was a Northwest Deja only. Deja Vu with the thing. legs. Yeah, with the, yeah. the legs and the fishnets. Oh, that's awesome. And the I went there when I when I turned eighteen. Uh, the first strip club I ever went to was Deja Vu because Led Zeppelin used to go there, and that's just like Zeppelin's favorite strip club. Like when they were in the Northwest, like they go to Seattle and they go to Deja Vu, and I was like, good enough for Jimmy Page, good enough for Rick Emerson, and so I would go there, and. You know, you know, you know, the strip club. What are you gonna do? I I realize when you walk in, it's sort of like how when you go to the Hard Rock Cafe, you're not really gonna be eating a sandwich next to uh, like uh, Richie Sambora. No, never. You know, it's just gonna be some. It's just gonna be some butt, butt-faced girl, uh, you know, from Akron. Um, so just like at the Deja Vu, you're really not gonna be next to John Bonham. It's gonna be next to some guy named Chip who thinks the stripper really likes him because she told me your real name, dude. I don't know. <laughs> I think there's a connection. She gave me her phone number. I I told her that I was the part-time manager at KB Toys, and I think she was really impressed. Uh, and then I got to see her boobs for a dollar. She's special. She's really something classy. She's a real catch-up connection. I got to buy her shame for one dollar. It was wonderful. She's she's really she's trying to study brain surgery. She's just trying to get through school. These dollars are making her smarter. But then, but then you go to the um, but but I, but you go to the Deja Vu and there's that great. Their slogan out front is, and it's painted on the side of every Deja Vu strip club, hundreds of beautiful girls, three ugly ones. <laughs> no lie. That's their actual slogan, wow. which is... Well, is that truth in advertising? Well, that was my thing, and I and that was way before Hooters started doing the delightfully tacky yet unrefined. Like, Deja Vu was way out front with this sort of weird kind of quasi-ironic thing. Hundreds of beautiful girls, three ugly ones. Wow. And it's like you always... And, Every single time you go to the Deja Vu, there would always be some guy, usually my friend Jason, who would get really plowed, and he would be like, so, uh, I want those three ugly girls, <laughs> but all at once. Yeah, and it's just, it was all very awkward. Um, I like the shower dance, please. <laughs> what's, my, 
Why do we? Why were we talking well, about strip clubs? Because I was talking about how that's where I would like to sober up ah, every now and then. Well, and I, but I don't do that anymore. No. No, never. No. I I just get my bag of McRiddles after uh, a long night of drinking. This is, by the way, and this is so. This is the reason. Actually, this leads into <laughs> something. This is. I can do this in. Uh, I can make this leap in two hops. One is so. I think it must have been Wednesday morning that you and I pulled into the back parking lot at the same yes. time. So Chris Paddock rolls in. I roll in. It's kind of a you know, morning Sam, morning Ralph kind of a thing. I got my bag over my shoulder. I'm walking in. I'm looking at my Blackberry, whatever. Panic rolls in, and he uh, rolls in the window. He's like, hey, you know, how's your morning? I'm like, fine. How's yours? And he said, I forget the phrase you used to describe the fact that you and Sarah have been out the night before. I said, was out with Sarah Dillon last night. Yeah. And the, <laughs> But the best part is you punctuated it by thrusting a bag of McGriddles at me. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense. But it was it was like you were doing like the Paul Stanley looking at the guy in the front row point, like, you down there. Yeah. And he goes, so it was like, I was out with Sarah Dillon last night, thrust with the back of McGriddles. Here's the proof. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it was, so I was trying, and in my head, I'm trying to figure out what, what that means. And well, it was, I was just really hung over. And, uh,. Sarah? And that was your fault, by the way, because I wanted to go I home. You're like, just 15 more minutes. Sarah, I know. 15 more minutes. I know. This is what I always do, and this is why uh, I don't know how to love properly. Um, I what? I often blame other people for my own shortcomings, and, and I'm just going to say this right now to you. It was my fault. I wanted to say it was not your fault, and I'm very sorry. We're going to have awkward moment of the week number no, two. I was just going to say this is going to be the twice <laughs> weekly. Uh, Sarah, I'm sorry for being Why a jackass. Why would you say that? <laughs> no. No. Uh, I, by the way, I told I told Paddock it's uh, the, the, that uh, what I'm going to do now the, the next time your birthday rolls around. You know how sometimes like kids will give their mom like when you're like when you're like ten or eleven, you give your mom like a coupon book for like one free like mowing the oh, lawn, yeah. okay. one free like I will clean up my room without being asked. Uh, I'm going to give you a book of shushes, uh, Sarah, and so then. It's going to be a book of ten. I never say that. I don't. I don't. No, no, no. no but, want... but but then you'll but you'll be allowed to, no matter what I'm talking about. So like. I, mean, I think there are shushers in life, and there are not shushers. I'm not a shusher. I wouldn't even feel comfortable doing that. All right. You could just hold it up and wave it at me. That's okay. And then you and then I and then I have to be quiet. Let's talk about me, Chris. Like, so you can use it right now, for example. It could be like those signs that the that you know, my parents were when we were on road trips. We get this thing to talk to the truckers with. Most people oh, have CVs. Did it yeah. say I'm being held? Call the police. Yes, yeah, like please. I am being held. I know my name is Stephen. <laughs> right. wow. They dyed my hair. Help me. What? Child abduction jokes? No, that's not it. I'm. I was the child that was being forced to go across America in a trailer with my parents, much like. Uh, well, I don't even know what we're talking about right know. now. We have to ride the Grand Wagoneer. But, oh, really? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Like the Brady's. But so the great thing about Paddock is he rolls in and he's got the big bag of McGriddles, which I'm sure are wonderful. I mean, I, I like people rave about I've never they tried them. They are delicious. I uh, I know uh, our friend, uh, fellow broadcaster Daria has actually talked about She's like, I love the McGriddles. I've never had a McGriddle. She raves about them. I've never had one, but it, I understand they're great. And so if you do like a tracking shot, like Altman style, of Paddock as he gets out of the car, clutching the bag of McGriddles... Uh, out of the car, across the parking lot, through the back door, down the hall. You take a right. You walk forward. You take another right. You unlock the door. You go into Paddock's office, and you can see then in one, like in the frame, in one shot, the bag of McGriddles in his hand, and then I swear, like nine boxes of like the most sugary cereal you can possibly imagine, 
that I don't think are just there for decorative purposes. No, like that. no, he's always eating cereal. That's no. eaten food. They, and instead, they're there. Haven't twice in a row you come in here to do the lost thing and you have it actually with a bowl of Captain Crunch with you? Occasionally, yes. Which almost looks like you got a problem of some kind. Uh, no, remember I, when he was carrying that bag in the hall that had like two cereal boxes in it? One of them <laughs> that was opened. Yeah, what was that? So well, like, you okay, can't wait, hold on. It's, no, no, no. I had I had to uh, sneak those boxes of cereal out of my home because my wife has put a ban on sugar cereals inside the household. Uh, Tracy will no longer allow me to eat the Captain Crunch, uh, the Honeycomb, uh, any of that stuff because uh, she does not want me eating it. And so now I'm hoarding it here at my workplace. So, so Sarah and uh, I ran it. That's why it was, it was in my trunk. You're hoarding it? Yeah, it was, it was in my trunk. So Sarah and I are in the hallway uh, walking somewhere or other, and Panic walks in, and he's got a big brown shopping bag. <laughs> And we look inside, and it's two boxes of, of sugared cereal, which is fine. And then we notice that one of them is already open. And my first assumption was that you would just walk to, like, the plaid pantry, <laughs> paid the $15. Right. But you're, like, on the way back, like, I can't even wait. And you just opened it on the way back, which is like the guy that no. you see cracking the seal as he's leaving the liquor store. No. Uh, so so with these, these were at your home, but you were obliged to smuggle them she out? She said, I don't think you should be eating this anymore. And I, she said, I think you probably should take this to work. Oh, and so she gave she, she, so does so, she know you secretly eat? Um, I don't think she knows now that I've got, let's see, uh, when she listens to this back, she'll know that I have uh, a box of Apple Jacks, I have a box of Honeycomb, I have a box of Frosted Flakes with Michael Phelps on the, the box. You're going to keep that uh, packaging? Oh, that's the collector's item. keep it sealed? Uh, no, I've actually already opened and started eating yeah, uh, the cereal. I couldn't stop. Uh, and then uh, Captain Crunch. I think I forgot to mention Captain Crunch. Did you ever? Now let me ask you this: Do you ever have this? And this is a thing that Sarah doesn't ever have to go through. So you don't, you don't, you don't know this. Oh, I can eat anything I want, and yeah, in the private. You don't have to be ashamed. And it doesn't get found. That's the other thing. Did uh-huh. you ever like have your hidden food discovered? Um, well, Tracy, uh, well, I did. Yes, well, I did have some hidden food, and she says, "What is the deal?" Because I actually hid a box of Captain Crunch behind some some healthy crackers. I do the same thing. I was thinking, well, maybe she won't notice. They always find she out. She found them, and then she was hiding those circus animal frosted cookies from me. You guys are like the days of wine and roses over there, but it's like yeah. with sugar. It's if Burton and Taylor were junk food junkies instead of alcoholics. <laughs> this is like, Jer- or I was going to go, it's also like Connolly and Leto hiding their smack from each other in Requiem for a Dream. You know what I mean? It's, you know, and, it, But it's like in different corners of the house, you guys are digging holes underneath the carpet and hiding like some mother's cookies or something. Because I'll do this thing where, I get like you, I will take... My thing is like those munchies, which is like the four oh, different snack yeah. crackers I'll put together. Those and like a bag of aerosol cheese, because I'm a hick. Yeah. And I'll put the cheese in the bag so it's all one package, and then I'll put it up in the top shelf, and then I'll put like something that nobody wants, like kashi, in front of it. <laughs> but then, of course, I discover that, you know, who does want the kashi is my wife. Yeah. And she'll do this great thing. It's like this time that Sarah found uh, an ex-boyfriend's porn stash. Oh, yeah. He and I don't mean... A, um, not the mustache. Not the mustache. Not like, like Harry Reams. <laughs> like an actual uh, cache of porn that wow. he had hidden in the house. And she did the greatest thing of just leaving it out on the bed. Like it was in a backpack. And she no, no, no. left he, it on the bed. No, because he was supposed to put it back in the closet, but he had left it on his bed. No, so I did the horrible thing. I was... Yeah, this is when I was like 21. Uh, I did the horrible thing if he got home and I had positioned myself in the living room and I put one of the tapes in the in the VCR 
So when he was coming home, I had surrounded myself with all of his magazines and tapes and then had one of the tapes playing when he walked in the door. Now, were you doing this to turn him on or would just be sarcastic? No. no, just to be kind of a bitch. Yeah, okay. Well, and by kind of, yeah. I mean a lot of well, Because he was now, so nice and he didn't what, deserve it. What kind of magazines were they? Were, were they was it Playboy, Penthouse, or were we yeah, talking like, like Nugget or Swank or something nugget. like that? <laughs> What's Nugget? Yeah, no, I can't describe it on the radio. <laughs> Ew. Okay. No, no, no. It was just normal. Just okay. normal porny stuff. We. <laughs> Ugh. Okay, so uh, tomorrow is Saturday, so I'm hoping maybe there might be a band lift so that I can watch. Uh, I do own a lot of old Saturday morning shows on DVD, so in spite of the fact that there are no longer good programs on Saturday mornings for people like myself, I now have to like recreate Saturday morning lineups from the 70s. You know, that's what DVD is for. I do that with Land yeah. of the Lost. Do you do that? Yeah, oh, I do. Okay. No, and, that, that's when, and that's when I have the – you know, and again, it's like bad TV requires bad food occasionally just final note, Lara will sometimes, either because she's wanting to eat the kashi or she just has the spidey sense, that I will, just like with Sarah leaving the... a new hiding spot. Well, that's my thing, because just like with you leaving the boyfriend, so he walks in and you're like surrounded by Swank magazine or whatever, <laughs> that like I will occasionally, I'll get up and sometimes I'll get it, you know, depending on our work schedules, I will um, I will get up, you know, before she does, and I'll walk into the kitchen and it, my my munchies and my aerosol cheese will just be sitting on the counter right. waiting for me. Wait, do you have um do you have an attic? Uh, like do you have like no, a, no. oh you don't have, I have anything a basement. Like that. Like you could be able to hide it up inside like a crawl space, like a junkie. Anytime you start hiding things in a crawl space, that ends. Is that bad. a bad thing? That's gonna end with wow. uh, That's gonna end with you being handcuffed and you trying to put a blazer over your face to hide <laughs> hide your visage from the television cameras as they say as many as so, thirty five bodies. <laughs> there was a head in the freezer. <laughs> And a box of Captain Crunch turned aside, what? along with a copy of Swank. What they found instead was a chamber of horrors. And then it just, like, it shows me, like, yeah, clutching, like, some Apple Jacks and then a bunch of shrunken masks made of skin on the wall. <laughs> Meanwhile, that song from the Silent Lambs is playing in the background, Goodbye Horses. That's good. I'm in ways. All right. I'm well. sorry. How uh, the weird factor. You know, so the minute you leave the room, uh, just the strange uh, element <laughs> just escalates like, to such an exponential degree it can't even be calculated. I, I was suggesting maybe we just stop right here. He started suggesting the <laughs> 10 seconds after you were gone, we had gone to the point of him suggesting I hide things, quote, in a crawl space, you know. <laughs> That's so creepy. And then me How is that creepy? And was, Everyone has a crawl space. And then I, I was talking space. about, you know, human heads hanging on my wall. So... You can't leave the studio anymore. Okay. That's a, Bad things happen when you're away. It's a nice shirt you're wearing today, uh, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah, that sounded creepy, too. See? It's a nice shirt you're wearing. It's a nice shirt you're wearing today, Miss Dillon. Were you drunk last night when you text messaged me McGriddles? No. <laughs> I just now am randomly text messaging Sarah Dillon with the word McGriddles. Wherever McGriddles. I can. I also Facebooked you with that. I wrote on your wall. Oh, stop. All right. Okay. I think I'll leave now. Thank you. Uh, All right. Chris Paddock, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, Chris Paddock. Have a great weekend, everyone. 107.5. All right. Excellent. Fantastic. It's 503-733-2970. Do we have a Don Taylor's theme? Oh, we do. We now have the touching interlude of Don's theme uh, right here on the Rick Emerson radio program. Don Taylor from Film.com joining us today. Hello, Don Taylor. How are you? Hello. Did he just walk out with the only uh, pair of usable headphones? Probably. Richie, can we find a pair of at least half usable headphones for Don Taylor? That'd be ever so swell. Thanks so much. <laughs> the love of God. Richie's having a bit of a day. Um, I think we're all having a little bit of a day, or maybe it's just uh, maybe it's No, just I think me. it's everybody. I, uh, I think it's been a week, and like because the, the end of the week is like just and I'm I'm better now. I was a little uh, a little and uh, not groggy. I was just trying to get my thoughts focused early because I had to get. I'm not really complaining, but I'm just saying my whole schedule was thrown off a little bit today because we had uh, I had this breakfast I had to go to, and so I had to get up early and then 
the, the caffeine earlier normally than I would, uh, you know, and, and and then my whole, you know, when my chemical intake is thrown off, then everything is just all torn asunder. So in any event, but, you know, now it's all coming back home to me. Gotcha. Now, now the whole uh, headphone conversation is going on over here. By the way, we should note that... Richie's being snotty to me. Uh, no wig shopping for you. All right. Hold on. Everyone stop. What? Okay. For the for the nine millionth time, you've worked in radio for like 15 <laughs> years. You have to be in front of the microphone for us to hear you. Otherwise, you're just moving your mouth. All right. How, what is, what, what is so the problem? So you said half usable, and I said, well, the headphone has two headphones. That means one of them works. That's half usable. Theoretically. He's I being sassy. He's I, being, he's being no snotty for Rochelle. Sure. I got another All right. One. So you have brought a pair of fully usable headphones for Don. Well, as long as she has to hold the hey. thing and As long as she holds the headphones and I tape them. All right. Well, to be fair, Matt Green has ordered, he told me, three pair of We only have to be dealing with headphones. this for a few more times. So those are en route. All right. Thank you, Richie. All right. There you go. Let me tape them. All right. Just, uh, <laughs> just take care of that. All right. Hello, Don Taylor. How Hi. are you today? I'm All right. good. All right. Yes, I can hear you can just go about the business of taping, Richard. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. I'll be taping tomorrow. Okay. Bye now. Sunday. <laughs> He's so strange. Can we start dosing the water here with Prozac, maybe? Can we just start slipping it in when nobody's looking? Like like they did with fluoride and microchips? You know, we just, uh, watch this. It tastes funny. Drink it. You know what I mean? Just start putting a little... You know, should have heard him. He's like, these? See this? This is one headphone. This is the other. Fifty percent of it works. That's half a headphone. I'm like, I didn't even say anything. I'm just standing here. Seriously. Seriously. Smack him with them. <laughs> I, I mean, I oh, really, God, thanks, I, I okay. really, I do think we need to start taking. I mean, like a Zoloft or something, and just grinding it up. Look, can I just, I'll just be honest right here. I don't know if I talked about this or not. I got a whole, I got a whole pile of Zoloft at home. I never took. Richie takes so many pills a day anyway. If we just stick one of those in there, I'm sure. Even know. That's a great idea. I say here on the air, admitting to a criminal conspiracy well, to give someone a drug. Jake's at um, the bowling alley, so when he turns his back, I'll just drop uh, one of them. You know what? I got a whole big, big pile of antidepressants at home that I never took and that, that I can't do anything with. I can't sell them. That's illegal. Uh, I, I'm not going to take them. Uh, How it, long ago was this, though? Because I think, you know, don't they degrade and turn into cyanide or something? I, I, that seems like a bit of a that seems like a bit of an overstatement. But no, I don't. Th- they always say that, right? Like, you know, you can't take this medication too later. It's its properties have changed. Well, that's a lie. What properties will have changed? It's powder. I mean, it's just dust, right? Dust that they formed into a pill shape. We could do an experiment. I mean, since I since I successfully semi-successfully weaned myself off the Lexapro, uh, which how successful that is will gauge by your memory of Tuesday. But uh, you could uh, just start giving me your old antidepressants, and then we could see what happens to me. It could be a bit. (laughs) Wow, you sound like a junkie. You'd be like one of those, uh, you'd be like in 28 (laughs) days later. Riddle me with pills. Check (laughs) it every week when I come in and say, you know, how you doing on the Zola? And I can tell you what my side effects are. I will inject you with the rage virus, and we'll have you watch television and see how it works. The Well, now, if I can ask this, since you brought it up, uh, so what is Lexapro? Lexapro is an antidepressant that's often uh, prescribed for people who have uh, anxiety disorders, basically. So it's an antidepressant. Well, isn't that, that what Zoloft is as well? It might be. I'm no expert. but uh, it's, it's, I just it's, take whatever's put in front of me. Well, it's been... Uh, Prescribed a lot more in recent years because the side effects are really minimal. Uh, you don't get the dry mouth. You don't get the suicidal tendencies. You don't get a lot of the stuff well, that you get helps. from some of the other ones. So. I, uh, why would I, I they would, give you an antidepressant that causes suicidal tendencies? That's a big problem, Is it because though, it's just a faster solution? That's really? a big problem with a, with a lot of them. The What was the first one? Not Paxil. The Prozac. Prozac. That was a real problem with Prozac is that it actually uh, caused suicidal tendencies in a in a 
fairly large percentage of people who took it. I actually have two things to say about Prozac. One is that, and we've talked about this, not a secret, that I uh, took Prozac for a while. It didn't uh, work. Did I? Uh, Sarah took it. and uh, you. Now, it worked well for you, though. You felt yeah, like I did. I was on it. Um, but, you know... <clears throat> I don't think it was on it long enough to have it have the full effects. Then you have to be on something you know, for like six months. It's accumulative. Exactly. So I was on it for about three months, and um, I don't. Know, I felt a difference. And like you... I was because I was like really at the time was not in a good relationship and just really obsessive and you know really yeah depressed and it totally just turned it around like. For some, it made me it made me numb to any emotion. I was I was just gonna say. So now you can be obsessive in an unhappy relationship and be totally fine. Exactly. With it. Like that's why I ended up being in that relationship for a little bit longer because I was totally numb. To I, it. I, I, I started taking the lecture phone because I was working at that horrible community newspaper job that I've talked about before, and um, working these long hours, really really stressful. Hated my job. Hated my life. And I would work these like 14 hour days and then go home and sit on my couch and cry. And then I couldn't sleep because I just had all of this stuff. So I went to my doctor and basically I just wanted some Xanax. I wanted something to just like make the anxiety go away. Well, that's what you want. I mean, (laughs) what everybody wants is that uh, Peter Gibbons thing from Office Space. Because could you just like knock me out so I think I've been fishing all day or whatever? Mm -hmm. That's what you want. Just like, can you just turn everything in my head off? But let me function still. <laughs> and I think that the Lexapro was great for, for the anxiety. It was great, except one of the things I discovered was that uh, apparently I, I hadn't realized I had been living with a certain level of anxiety my entire life, mm-hmm. just always a sort of knot of anxiety in my stomach to some degree. And it was part of what helped me get things done. And, you know, it's like that, that always, like almost always being on a deadline. Like, ah, if I don't do this, Terrible I'll failure. Yeah. And once the anxiety went away and I'd get to, eh, Okay. I'll get to it whenever. I'll get to it whenever. Yeah. And, and my productivity actually just plummeted for a while because it was just like, uh, and I realized, oh, I kind of need that anxiety a little bit to actually force my well, butt to do things. Well, it's like that college thing or the high school thing of like, the, you know, the, the doing your term paper at the last minute. Like the best work is that which is done under the gun, out on the run. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, but you know, because you, you, like, you, you, you got to get it done, and it's like from that comes that you know, and it's one of those cliches that I think is a little true. When you get that, that, that when you're all cranked up and nervous about something, the the work is sometimes a lot better because you've got the, which is probably just a chemical thing. It's just a rush of adrenaline and endorphins and whatever. Um, so there's that, and I'm you know I'm Sarah and I, and I sent you an email the other day because Dawn was like, sorry if I seemed a little crazy on Tuesday, and I emailed you back last night or whatever, and I said, have you ever listened to our show? Like, Sarah and I are the treasurer and secretary of the Hey, We're Crazy uh, Society, so like, don't worry about that. But I, So I'm like you, though, where I've just, you know, just spent most of my life just being uh, disproportionately unhappy, irritated, uh, or happy, or excited, or frustrated, or nervous, or ecstatic about something, just like these completely, vastly disproportionate uh, responses to a little stimuli in my life. But anyway, so I, had the, so I had the Prozac, and there's two things to say about that. One is that I took it, and all it did was make me uh, jittery and, uh, and like, disconnected. When I took Prozac, it was like, I described it as, like, uh, that all of my emotions were kind of on the shelf where I could see them, but I couldn't quite touch them. It's like, oh, uh, my, my caring is right over there. I just, uh, or, like, it was sort of behind glass, like a painting at the Louvre. You're like, mm-hmm. right over there is my ability to love. I can see it. I just that can't use exactly it. That's exactly what it was like. Look how pretty it is. If only I can, If only it worked. See, the only thing that the Lexapro affected me like that, and uh, again, oversharing, but what the heck. It's only three of us here in this tiny little room. <laughs> sure. Was, Nobody's listening. Yeah. <laughs> was that it killed my sex drive. But just in this way of just, I didn't really care. But then you're not depressed about it because you don't care. Right. Honestly, Honestly right. that's, that's the Prozac did that to me. That it's not like it's not like you you want to have sex and you can't. It's more like you just kind of go, yeah. Sex, I can take or leave. I'll have sex some sometime. <laughs> then I just kind of feel bad for my I husband. Guess I'll do it. You know, because it's like, 
and then the, and also think like I have to make the intellectual decision to have sex. Like, okay, we will have sex now, and it will take like twenty minutes for me to actually go from zero to sixty and warm up for it. But you know, because and and that was awkward. Yes. But the thing is, you don't you don't really miss something you just aren't interested. Well, in. Well, it's like if you uh, I would imagine in that way, it's like if you're taking some like if you uh, uh, like an like a, an appetite suppressant or something, where it's like you're like well, I, I guess I should eat. Yeah. Yeah, I could. I could not. Food, I can. It becomes I can take or leave thing. The other, intellectual, there's just part of you that just goes, you know, it's really not natural that I'm not ever hungry. Yes, I believe uh, I should desire intercourse now. Logically speaking, let me look at a let me look at an Excel <laughs> spreadsheet too. The my but the last thing about it is uh, somebody. Uh, I, I'll just put it this way. I know I know somebody. There's a, a friend of the show that I was talking to about this at one point about Prozac and antidepressant. I forget why it has come up with something and. Uh, he said to me, he said the weirdest thing, and I, and I won't say why he knows this, but somebody said to me that the, and this is just what he told me. It could be right, it could be wrong. I don't know. Sounds like it makes a lot of sense, though. He said the deal with Prozac, and in this case, Prozac and suicide, is that a lot of times you get people who are just unbelievably depressed. I mean, and you know, and I'm not going to go do a whole thing, but just like Sarah and I talked about how, like, when you have anxiety attacks, people are like, you're just nervous. And you're like, you know what, I'm just going to break off your teeth with a hammer, friend. How about that? And so, in, you know, when you, the clinical depression is a real thing. It's a chemical thing. And people go, oh, come on, buck up. You know, turn that frown upside down. You're like, I'm going to, what does the guy say? I'm going to cut out your heart with a spoon. So you get, I you will know, shoot you in the face. Yeah, so the, the, the clinical depression is a real thing. But I guess the deal is that sometimes people are so depressed that they actually, as dumb as this sounds, can't even really get it together enough to kill themselves. And so he told me, he's like, you know, the thing they, they never talk about, he's like, the dirty little secret is, that sometimes Prozac and other drugs like that will lift you up and make you just functional enough that you can finally do what you've wanting to, wanting, you know, been wanting to do, which is just to end it all. And he's like, doctors won't ever really tell you that, and the medical community doesn't like to talk about it, but it'll make you just functional enough that you can kill yourself if you want to, which is a weird, yeah. you know, that's a, you know, so that's just a weird whole thing there. So anyway, on that strange note, uh, let's take a break here. We'll come back after this. Don Taylor is here from Film.com. Later on, we'll talk to Aaron Duran and Jim Roop about the upcoming Oscars as well. We'll announce the final winner of our Oscar Night America 2009 tickets and more of your phone calls. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Stay there. We're no longer crazy when the mics go off, huh? Huh? Oh, man. Am I right? All right. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Just one final note about, you know, the nuttiness and so forth. The, the nuttening. Um, that Don Taylor from Film.com, uh, who will have some fine news stories uh, for us here in just a moment, uh, more than a couple times now you said, well, I'm sorry if I seem all mental and crazy and whatever. And then without exception, every single time you're here, We'll go to a break, or something will happen, and it's just crazy. Uh, Sarah and I, who are just uh, sitting here just uh, squawking like a couple of insane pigeons, and Dawn is like the calm, rational, stable, normalizing figure in the studio. And she's not used to that, so that's kind of I mean, really, this ought to convince you that... Uh, so basically we were when did I become the level-headed one? When we were harassing Dawn, because, I don't know, because you see things on the Internet, and like sometimes people are mean, it's just like... 
And so we were asking Don, truthfully, it's like, are we mean people? Are we bad people, Don? You're not bad people, but you are occasionally mean people. But you're mean in a uh, But it just comes from our, like, you know, we were not cool and I like had to people think torture us when we were younger. <laughs> I have no excuse. I'm just a terrible person. But I would like what to think What do you want to do? It's... Be like the nice people on the easy listening station or the <laughs> NPR people saying, and now we're going to do a show about... I would like to think that it's sort of an amusingly zestful kind of meanness that I do. I I do believe that I have, as Chuck D. once said, uh, a life-loving hate. So uh, my hate keeps my uh, teeth white. Yeah, people surprise me because I, yeah. People don't surprise me, Sarah. I know. Maybe I should start thinking more. I've written them all off uh, (laughs) sort of, uh, you know, Agent uh, Smith style a long time ago. So, Uh, ladies and gentlemen, at the news desk, the always chipper Don Taylor. And now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. Milwaukee police are looking for a missing 15-year-old girl from Woodland, Washington, who's believed to be with a 34-year-old Milwaukee man. He's suspected to have sexually abused her over the last year. Nicole Nikki Christine Warner was last seen in January of 2009. She's believed to be with Robert Harvey Best, 34, of Milwaukee, who is alleged Mm. to have had an ongoing relationship with her in which he sexually abused her. Uh, He's being sought by Milwaukee police. He is a white male, 6 foot, 160 pounds, with light brown hair and blue eyes. That narrows it down. Yeah. Nicole is a white female, 5 foot, 1, 160 pounds, with brown hair and brown eyes. So, you know, if you see a 30-year-old white man with a 15-year-old white girl anywhere, you freak out. Amber alert. (laughs) Immediately alert everybody and stop traffic everywhere. Uh, all right. Well, especially let's just uh, let's also say something, and especially in uh, certain parts of the Northwest where it's not a terrifically uncommon sight to you know to see the as we used to say in Spokane, is it daughter or girlfriend? Daughter or girlfriend? Sometimes you're just not <laughs> yeah. sure. Here we go again. And but, they were last seen in Oregon City, and whew, it's, I tell you. Yeah, they, you don't even know how to use chairs out there. Uh, this one says, Rick, about that W E S or West. It goes between Wilsonville and Beaverton, not Portland, and it's not light rail. It's a heavy-ass Amtrak-type train. So there's a thing. So there's a train between Wilsonville and Beaverton, which makes even less sense, by the way, because I mean, if you're going to go from, are there a lot of like uh, tech employees who live in Wilsonville? Maybe I was going to say that that's the only thing I can think of. Is there, is there some sort of huge? Yeah, maybe I'm being a bad Portlander right now because I don't even really know. Is there some some single company or cluster of companies out there that sort of employs everybody? I can almost see like the Wilsonville to Portland thing because, of course, Portland is a big metropolitan city and Wilsonville's like a thousand miles away or whatever. Wilsonville to Beaverton just seems like that's like if you want to – that's sort of like if the Applebee's in, like in your neighborhood isn't quite as good as the Applebee's like in another place. And so you've got to get to that one because their hot wings are somewhat spicier. Like get on the west right now. So – well, they also both strike me as areas where you have bedroom communities that have sprung up around, you know, industrial, light industrial stuff, and people live there because they work there. You know, it's like, are they really going to be going back and forth between the two? I don't know, and I don't know what a bedroom community is either, by the way. That's one of those phrases that people say, and I nod at it as though I understand what it means, and I really don't. Uh, those would be, basically, I think it's kind of like the suburbs. It's 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 vast tracts of just... Middle-class housing. Just like a sleepy little Levitt town. Yeah. All right. It's a pre-Grace Metallius uh, Peyton place, you know, where all the secrets <laughs> and shame are hidden deep within. Exactly. All right. Uh, hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show, sir or madam, as the case may be. How can I help you today? Uh, good day, Rick Emerson. Uh, voice number two calling. Hello, sir. Um, I, I'm such a loser. 
I uh, won tickets the other day for my uh, So I Married an Ex-Murderer. Yes, uh-huh. you did the Making a Scene for Oscar Night America 2009. And, and that was great, and I thought for sure I was going to be able to go, but it's not going to work out. So is it possible to throw my tickets back into the pot for a uh, another Rick Emerson listener here yeah, on yeah, KCMD I, Portland? Yes, we can. I think we can do that, and uh, I will say by way of a preamble, if we give those away today, you got to be picking them up like before 530. I'm speaking out of whoever my windows because uh, the thing is Sunday, and the office closes at 530. So I'll tell you what. I'll put you on hold, and we will, uh, we'll put those back into circulation, see if we can give them away. But uh, thank you for doing that as opposed to just sure. letting them like, sit on your shelf somewhere. And uh, one other thing? Yeah. Oh, uh, what are my choices for bread? And she said, white wheat sourdough with a chocolate bagel. I'm just saying. Is that your is that your ringtone? It's a ringtone on one of my phones. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Yeah. yeah thanks. Have a good weekend. For a minute, I thought he was Richie. Will you talk to? I don't know where Richie is. Or, I'm sorry, Richie. Uh, can you do me a huge favor? That guy. Uh, we lost the call there. So if he calls back, can you get his information? That'd be swell. Uh, also, if you could scream. Like any of these calls ever. All right, thank you. All right. His name is Jeff. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. I appreciate it. I don't mean to be hard on Richard today. I'm just saying he's obsessing about his makeup. Every time I walk by the room, he's just back there uh, ruminating about some sort of like, you know, which lip liner am I going to use? I mean, he seems very stressed he's, today. No, he's very stressed, which is fine. I understand that. I'm just saying, uh, meanwhile, I don't, uh, there's no actual screen. I just can't see who any calls are. And so, like, especially now, people are calling into the making a scene thing. We're all stressed, but meanwhile, we, we still have a job to do. Life goes on, Richie. You know, Richie Bristol. Just repress the crazy until 3 o'clock. <laughs> Richie, as Ron Carter once said, the best way to keep your job is to do a good job. So let's all do a good job every day, gang. All right, let's go win at radio. And that's how he'd win, uh, you know, end all of his meetings. So we're going to do that. All right, Don Taylor, hello. Hello. Uh, the Skamania County Sheriff's Office has obtained arrest warrants for two subjects believed to be responsible for the beating of Robert Tracy as he was skiing in the Dugan Falls area of Skamania County on February 9th. Is it Dugan, Duggan, Dougan? I don't know. How do we pronounce I, it? I was busy thinking that it's amazing there isn't a band called Skamania. Oh. Like, you know, but from the Northwest. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, with like a wacky little bowler hats or whatever it is they wear. Wow. All right. Well, in any event. Uh, Thursday, authorities arrested two witnesses in Vancouver, both 18-year-olds, uh, Dania M. Whalen and Nathan W. Davis. They are being held in the Skamania County Jail, and bail has been set at $500,000. Uh, the two are being held because they are considered flight risks. Um, okay. I'm I'm un, I'm unsure where this story is going. Oh, here we go. Uh, David Michael Collins, 33 years old, and Tevin David Collins, 16, both from the Vancouver area, are being sought in connection with the attempted murder and robbery of Tracy in the remote area of Skamania County last week. They're a father and son pair uh, who uh, are believed to be in the southwestern U.S. at this time. Uh, they apparently used a wooden allegedly. Excuse me. Used a wooden club to severely beat Tracy in and around his head and torso. In and around. What is around his torso? In the general area of the torso. And in his torso? They missed a lot. Um, Let's beat that guy. I'm tired of beating around his torso. Let's beat in his torso for a bit. In and around his torso. Jesus. Uh, Investigators allege that the father and son pair, uh, possibly believing Tracy was dead, then dragged his unconscious body into the brush where he lay for an undetermined amount of time. Have we never seen a horror movie uh, in our life? I mean, come on. Have we never? Look, I'm not trying to give advice to criminals. I'm just saying good, bad, or indifferent, they're never dead when you think they're dead. Even if it's, you know, if it's somebody you're trying to save and you're like, oh, as Hawkeye Pierce showed us, there's always hope. You can't let the bastard win. So, I mean, and (laughs) I'm... update, father and son... 
believe they have beaten the guy to death. In and around his torso and shrub. Drag him into the brush because obviously uh, proper body disposal, not an option at the moment. And apparently the guy wasn't actually dead. All right. Well, so there you go. So the uh, the lesson is either don't beat a guy at all or beat him a whole lot more. Don't just beat him halfway. Huh? Can we all agree on that? Hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hey, Rick. How's it going? What's up? Hey, so the uh, the West Line, the reason it runs from Wilsonville to Beaverton is because it was already on existing rail lines, so they didn't have to effectively build new ones. Why? Now, when you say existing rail lines, was that like a, just for like a regular cross-country train or something? Well, yeah, it's a, it's what's called a trunk line, where it's not a uh, like a you know mainline railroad, but it services like all the small you know communities that no one cares about west of here. So, you know. So it was just easier than putting in brand new tracks. It was like, well, these tracks over here, somebody will want to use this train. Let's go. Well, I mean, it's still in use by regular freight trains and stuff. So it's, it's effectively right. you can just put a passenger train on it and save some money versus what they're doing in Clackamas, which, again, places no one cares about. Well, uh, Clackamas, and I mean, it's really, I mean, has anybody really known, you know, we, you know what Portland needs? We need to import more people from Clackamas to come, uh, to come into our city. I mean, it's like importing a bunch of cold sores. You know what I mean? Seriously. <laughs> I mean, look, can we, seriously, can we just get a uh, can we just get a train that comes right from a prison, and maybe that goes uh, like directly into downtown? Well, and I'm just saying, only good can come out of this. Um, yes. But on, right. on, a, on another note, I wanted to say thank you guys for doing the podcast because my job requires me to be in Seattle three days a week. Yes, now, sir. And uh, it's it's so great to be able to. See, I was really depressed about that in the uh, in the radio theater. Bravo. Well, uh, thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. I appreciate. It. Thank you for listening. You spread the word, sir. Always, always. All right, there you go. Bottom. There you go. That's fantastic. Oh, I, yes? See, having begun my journalistic career, spending four and a half years at the Clackamas Review. In the Clackamas. <laughs> Why not just import a trainload of cold sores? I mean, come on. <laughs> Am I speaking an untruth? Oh, uh, you know... I, you know, I also I also edited that newspaper out in St. Helens, and I gotta say, if I had to pick between the two, <laughs> look. And here's the thing: look, any, lest anybody think I'm being all Tannisborn about it, uh, I can say this: a homeless guy was pooping in my uh, in my driveway not too long ago. All right, so I mean, look, it's uh, you know, and as we discussed the other day, my wife has now just uh, decided to get rid of everything by putting it in front of our house on a box where a homeless guy will come along and decide to spritz himself with Chanel. So. Not like I'm saying you ought to be importing people from my neighborhood right into downtown either, because that's also a bad idea. But let's let's not peddle untruths to one another, hmm? And apparently, if you want to know where Rick uh, lives, just look for the nice smelling hobos. <laughs> there is, follow the uh, follow the hobo who smells like poison, uh, or whatever, whatever the hell it is. I don't know. I'm just name checking perfumes that I know the names of. Okay, I was like. I don't even. I know it, it's like some. It's like some. It's like sunflower. <laughs> it's something or other. I think it's actually. To be fair, I don't mean to, uh, to out you on this, uh, honey. I, I do believe that the... To be fair, this is not the perfume she was keeping. She he had like three, and she's like, well, you know what? I, I don't really wear perfume that much, but I'm going to keep one, get rid of the others. And the ones I saw, I do believe they were actually from Victoria's Secret, which is weird, because it's not like it's not like she's that that girl or whatever. But I, I guess, I don't know, it was from there. So so if, you, so if, there's, a, so if there's like a... Uh, if there's a homeless guy and he smells like heaven sent from uh, Victoria's Secret, that's here, somewhere in the vicinity of my home. really good smelling stuff. I, um, yes. So, uh, you guys spare change? <laughs> you know, you smell really nice. It's Estee Lauder. <laughs> nice. Uh, that's fantastic. All right. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, Don Taylor. 
Spokane police are investigating what they are calling the tragic death of a faculty member at Spokane Community College. Police say the man was working in the bowling alley in the basement of Lair Student Center on Thursday morning when the accident occurred. Police say the man got caught in the machinery that clears the pins. Wow. Oh. That's, the, that's a first. I, you know, sometimes in this program, you think we're going to run out of unique deaths because it's like, you know, beaten in and around the torso with a wooden club, mauled by a chimp. But I got to tell you, even if this chimp woman dies, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's going to be like the fourth or fifth time that a chimp has killed somebody. So that's not even really that original anymore. Uh, you know, we've had threshing machine, combine, wood chipper, uh, one of those things that mulches logs into sawdust. We had that. People set themselves on fire. People, uh, we had that guy that, uh, we had that guy that fell into the crevasse in Mount Hood after turning down the GPS device, which was only like a dollar a day. So there, so there was that. This is a brand new one, though, killed by the pin setting, which is, I believe, made by the Brunswick Corporation. This is really making me rethink uh, my whole philosophy where I've shared that my preferred method of death would be to be unexpectedly decapitated. Yes. Uh, you mean unexpected to, say, to you? Unexpected to me. Okay. But just so that I have those two seconds of, of still conscious brain activity where I go, well, my body came up. Everything's upside but, down. Uh, but I have to say, number two, it's a tie between mauled by a chimp or caught in the machinery at a bowling alley. Can I just tell you this? And maybe I'm a pinhead. I'm sorry. It was an unfortunate okay. pun. I didn't mean to do that just now. I that was that was regrettable, the way that happened right now. I was going to say bonehead. I've never said pinhead before, either. I don't know. You really struck out with that one. <laughs> Spare me your humor, Don. Are we at the end? I th- yeah. Oh. I, I don't know enough about bowling to do bowling puns. Okay, so make My sure. My puns are splitting. Ah. We're done. I don't know. Done. That was so bad. We're done. I'm embarrassed. Uh, the, <laughs> do you feel like a turkey? Is that it? Anyone else? I want to make sure we've exhausted this before we move on. <laughs> Three, two, one. Okay, we're done. I can't believe we didn't make a ball joke. No, oh, well, that seemed too easy. Yeah, that's uh, that's well traveled. We worked, we thought outside of the box. Anyway, so maybe maybe I'm dense, but that that machinery that calculates the pins and how many are there and it cleans them up and sets them up. That's magical. It is fascinating, and the thing yeah. is, you know, it's existed since like 1920. Have you ever been back behind a bowling alley like to see? Yes, I, I have. have not, and I've always wanted to. Well, you know what? Now by saying that, you know that some listeners are gonna be like, I managed a bowling alley out in uh, out in Gresham. Oh, I, I want you to come. See how it works. It's My fantastic. My mother had a job working as a pin setter for a while at a bowling alley back before they had the automatic pins. They didn't use the monkeys like the Flintstones, <laughs> but the monkey would come down. It's a living. <laughs> But in the, the, no, my friend Todd and I, uh, when we lived in Washington, we were we used to. Uh, I you know I don't really bowl now, but we went through this weird. I, I look back and you went through a weird phase in your life where you were doing something for like no readily apparent reason. And I went through this phase where I would just bowl all the time at like midnight with this guy for some reason. He was a friend of mine, and we both worked in radio. We were both back when we had dreams. Uh, we were both uh, you know young. You know I was a slip of a youth, and we were both young ruffians trying to make it in the big world of talk radio. And and neither of us had. Neither of us had a talk show at that point, but we were both dreaming of it. And for some reason, that we just fell into this thing of bowling every weeknight at midnight for some reason. And then we would, uh, and then we played Mortal Kombat. And then we would like go home and just cry ourselves to sleep. So anyway, but we became fascinated with the Brunswick machine that comes down and resets all the bowling pins. And at one point, you know, because we've always been a little more forward than some people. And at one point, I think we just collared a guy and we're like, hey. Uh, can we go back there and look at the Brunswick thing that sets up the pins? And the kid, you know, he's like the squeaky voice teen. He goes, what? And I said, you know, can we just, can we we play here all the time. I want to know how the pin thing works. Can we go look at it? And he's like, oh, that's the manager. And the manager came out, and sure enough, 
He walked us right back there, and we walked in the back, and it's fascinating. It looks like, you know what it looks like back there? It looks like that factory at the end of Chicken Run, where it's like just a huge Rube Goldbergian thing that is like mashing them into like chicken pot pies or whatever. It looks just like that, coupled with that thing in Die Hard 2 where he's back there in the luggage sorting machine. And it's like pins going every which way, and there's like conveyor belts all around you, and there's things that were all being like sucked up and like going down to totally that little, like loopy loop slide. It's thing. like you're inside a giant clock that runs on bowling parts. Yeah, that's just mean. You're making it sound like the coolest thing ever. It really was. It. I mean, and look, maybe in my memory, I've made it cooler. And in fact, it might be less cool now because maybe with science and technology, they no, streamlined the bo- it. The place that I have my bowling league at, though, is like older. Like oh, I know that. Stuff, so I bet that's it, an old ass place. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty ghetto. So maybe that maybe I can convince one of them. Totally, you should just go up and just just ask him. I mean, if you're if you're cool about it and if you don't seem well, like they, a crazy person, don't yeah, I mean, do it. I recognize them. I know them from all from the bowling league. Last they'll totally year. know. You'll totally know. You just you should ask. It really was. It was pretty great. And here's the amazing thing about it, is that even having watched that machinery work, I don't know how it works. You know what I mean? It's like knowing how it's like when... How does it pick up the pins? There's like, well, see, that's the thing. There's a thing that comes down and it picks it up, and it's like, how does it know exactly where all the pins are? How does it uh, know if one is just sort of leaning? It's really weird. I mean, it's one of those things like a microwave where the guy can demonstrate how it works and go, that's great. No idea. And it's just a bit, you know, you you realize that you are... I'm not trying to sell myself short. You just realize that there's certain kinds of knowledge your brain doesn't have receptors for, you know, permanently. In other words, you can learn it for like five seconds, but then later it's going to get bumped out by like something about, you know, by like Starbucks or whatever. And you just won't have a permanent place to store that knowledge. So I've already kind of forgotten exactly how it operated, but it was cool to watch. So, okay, so, but he was killed by the thing. He was killed by the thing. But so I mean, does it, it say it? how? It doesn't say. It, it just oh, says it he got caught in the mach- machinery that clears the pins. But how did, it, he would have had to have been back there, it seems like. Yeah, well, he was, and I know, and, he, and he's a, uh, he's, a teacher. He's a faculty member. One of our best and brightest. I to believe he was actually, well, but, you know, I, I don't know. Are janitors considered faculty? That's what no, a, it's like teenagers. That's what a college teachers. degree will get you. Don. Teachers are, are faculty. Is it like the Flintstone thing where his thumb was caught in the ball and he just, no! All the way down. I always imagine things like that. It usually starts with like your clothes or your hair getting caught in it. And it just kind of yanks you in from there. Oh. Except, but still, you'd have to be down at the end where the freaking pins are. Because that thing that shoots the ball back up into the return, that conveyor belt, that's a one way thing. I'm wondering if there was drinking involved. Police suspect that We need more alcohol. details on this. We I do. demand more we details. I know, like, if it like, came down on a Murphy, got like... Who's the, uh, what, who, who's reporting? What's the station of, of record uh, there? K-R-E-M. Krem. Brett Albury. Uh, well, Brett we could, Albury. That's Spokane. We could name. probably find somebody there. Maybe. Because even that thing that returns the balls, the, when it loops around and the conveyor belt goes back, that part is shielded. You'd have to work really hard to get something caught in there. Well, um, if, he was, if he was crawling, like, under the thing where the machine comes down to Maybe pick one of the pins up was stuck pins. or something. Yeah. He decided to fix it himself. Or he did something he was, like, like dancing, like, in Footloose or something hey, all kids, over the volleyball, at, and his shoe fell off. Hey, kids, look at me being the cool teacher. Ah! But it was after... It was after hours. They say he was working in the bowling alley in the basement of the student center. Maybe the teacher. Uh, maybe on the teacher. Thursday morning. It's all I found is he died in a bowling accident while trying to fix a lane malfunction. Mm, okay. A lane malfunction. Maybe uh, the thing's stuck. I, I can fix it. Bam, bam, bam. Ah! <laughs> maybe this was. Maybe well, he was young, too. supplementing his teacher salary though by being a bowling alley uh, repair person. Or he could just be one of those guys that it's like, there's something wrong, nobody around to fix it. I'll fix it. I, I know a, how to fix stuff. I have a Y chromosome. I can solve any problem. 
Just get me a Phillips head screwdriver, son. I've got a Leatherman in my pocket. I can I can fix it. By the way, um, Wilsonville. Okay, see, I knew that there was the Intel uh, out there sort of somewhere. Like, I don't even, can I tell you this? I don't really know where Intel is. I mean, like, I know it's in. Oh, it's everywhere. But, I mean, it's like in that area. But, like, I couldn't tell you where the factory is. Oh, is it anything. like out? See, but that's, I just did the same yes, thing. It's over, it's over there. It's, yes, that way. Like that magical land. It's in the corner of the studio. But somebody said that Wilsonville has Cisco and Xerox as well, which I did not know. Uh, so there you go. So Xerox is out there. So I guess it's maybe just moving all the tech industries around. Okay, so the well, Fry's is down there, and Fry's usually moves in where there's a lot of tech. So because mm. they they know the geek quotient is high. Totally. Right. The story keeps getting weirder. So it's like he was killed by trying to fix a lane malfunction. Investigators say he was teaching a bowling class with around 25 students when the accident occurred. A maintenance worker found his body. So none of the students were like, "Let's go get pizza now." I mean, sure. so the students were all like, let's not tell anybody. Let's just go get a shake somewhere. Or he said, he's like, ah, you guys go ahead. Just go ahead. Class is over. I'm just going to fix no, this. No, I'll, I'll cut myself free with a Bowie knife later. You don't you worry about me. <laughs> all right. Well, don't do whatever he did, kids. Uh, whatever this, this teacher is not a role model. So, uh, you know, if something's broken, you just let, let a professional fix that. Don't, didn't you say, Don, you knew some guy got his hand caught in a, a Hobart blender? When I was in culinary school, yes. Please to tell the, that the, story. Uh, big uh, 20-quart uh, Hobart mix. They gave us a couple of, uh, a lot of safety tips when we were in culinary school. One was proper knife use. Yeah. Don't go waving your knife around. Be careful with the knife. Don't you know. Don't go waving and, your knife. And sure enough, I saw a couple of people end up having to go to the hospital to get stitches because of misusing their knives. And the other one was uh, if you're using the giant 20-quart Hobart mixer, and if anybody has ever used, like, say, a KitchenAid uh, mixer the, where you see how the paddle kind of goes around like in a, a figure eight almost. Yeah, it, it like goes around and the thing moves it around. So it You yeah. know what it is? It's like it is like a big mixing uh machine, but it operates like one of those teacup rides at Disneyland. Exactly. Where it turns and rotates all yes. at once. And then so the, the, the professional size mixers go up as much as like fifty quarts. I think the one we were working on was a twenty quart. And they said, you know, if uh, you drop like your spatula in the mixer, turn it off before you put your hand in to get the vision, because that thing will, like, F you up. And that seemed patently obvious to me, but I was in the bake shop class one morning, and sure enough, a guy was doing something. He was scraping down his side, and his big, giant uh, rubber spatula went in, and he just grabbed at it with his hand. Hand went into the paddle. Thing kept spinning around. There was much screaming, and he broke uh, all four fingers and... Uh, and, uh, and didn't do that again. And didn't do that again. I also saw a guy uh, when I was in um, that same class, actually. Uh, he was working with sugar for the first time. And hot sugar, melted sugar, is like molten lava. Right. And usually when you're doing stuff, you work it on a slab of marble. You pour out the hot sugar. Then you take a, a, a spatula, a paddle, and you start scraping it. And, and working it to cool it and put air into it. And this guy took his little scraper thing and just went, scrape! And all of it just kind of came up like a tsunami wave onto his <laughs> forearm. Again with the screaming, again to the hospital. He came back the next day with his forearm just swaddled in bandages. That is fantastic. Oh, it's like that Canadian PSA. Have you seen that kitchen? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to get married tomorrow. Good thing I've got my looks. That, ah! And then just like she's covered in boiling fat. It was exactly, yes. <laughs> it was just like that. Good times. All right. Let's take a break. We'll come back after this. Uh, we'll spend a few moments with Mr. Skin on the other side. Later on, Jim Roop will talk to us about uh, the Academy Awards. 
Uh, also, Don Taylor will talk to us about that. Uh, Aaron Duran later on today as well. And uh, I guess we will have uh, a supplemental edition of Making a Scene for your shot at a pair of uh, tickets to Oscar Night America 2009. Stay there. The Rick Emerson Show continues next. drunk and, yeah. and he falls and he goes right through like a jewelry display case i mean even if that's like candy glass or something it's it's pretty impressive sweet sweet candy glass mm. speaking of sweet sweet candy who just i know this is the gayest thing ever so please forgive me who just put on that delightful perfume oh my gosh don did and then i came in i'm like that is the most i'm like i don't know who smells like that is the most incredible smell it smells I've like ever. cookies no it's, offense. It's, it's actually uh, called Bush de Noel, which is like, you know. Yeah, I don't ever buy anything on the internet. Which is like I'm... the Christmas cake log thing, so if you remember that. Your perfume is like a Christmas cake log? Can I just do that thing? I'm going to buy some. Don, my love for you is like a Christmas cake log, freshly arrived in the post. What of what my few girly... That's my Cohen in... Brothers dialogue <laughs> for the day, by the way. One of my few girly indulgences is that I love interesting smelling perfume oils and soaps and things, so I buy stuff from these... There's a lot of places online that have interesting stuff, and this one is from a company called Blood Drops. It's actually just a woman who does it, but there's places like Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab, and that's fantastic. And then uh, Villainous Soaps, and I just I, I love all of these things with these just odd, bizarre. One is like, and then for guys, they're making like the thing that smells like Burger King or whatever, which yeah. is great. And that's which I'm almost tempted to buy just because I'm such a strong supporter of Burger King and their viral marketing. I mean, there and and by the way, I'm this, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. Uh, you know, Burger King has really come a long way to with uh, one like I love I I'm not one of those guys like I'm the I don't like fast food. You know what? That's just an un-American thing to say, and I will not be party to it. So not only do I like fast food, but of course there's different places you go for different specialties. And I'm saying for me, this is just for me. Uh, McDonald's fries have always been kind of the fast food gold standard. I mean, even and I know this is heresy to some people, even more than like In-N-Out Burger. McDonald's fries really are. They are the standard bearer to me. Uh, Burger King has some fantastic offerings as well, and what they've also got is excellent advertising. The best ad currently on the air, in my opinion, for any fast food restaurant, there's actually two of them, 
Uh, and, and I will make these two observations, then we'll continue with the news. And we got Jim Roop coming up here in a few, uh, some mystery calls we'll get to. Uh, one is, and I know it's not targeted at, at me, but I can still recognize it. It's a great ad. And you know it's a great ad because it makes people furious about half the time. Is that McDonald's ad that's about Starbucks? I love that. Ad. And it's like the guy's taking, I don't have to call, you know, movies, films anymore. I can bathe or whatever. And he's like, I don't have to be a stinking hippie. I can shave this thing off. So great. And the reason, how, the, the way that you know it's great is that I know so many people who are agitated beyond belief. We, we work with somebody who I won't identify. You know who you are, uh, who just is like apoplectic with rage every time that McDonald's commercial comes on, which is obviously targeted at Starbucks and about how you don't have to go pay $9 for some pretentious, uh, you know, jerk to, to, to give you a, a coffee drink. And this person is just so incendiary with, with just hate every time it comes on. Is, and, it, is it anger at McDonald's or anger that is making fun of hipster wankers? I think both, probably a little bit of that. Uh, but anyway, so it's a great ad, though. The other one is the cow tipping thing for Burger King. Where it's like they're out kipping. So have you seen the, the, the Burger King cow tipping ad? Yes. And where it's like it ends with the Burger King the staring at the guy. guy? Yeah, but it, he, the, like the king corners the, the guy and he just goes, I'm too young to die. And then it just goes to black. What the F is that? Up. Don't you remember they had that yeah. rooster or the, that's the chicken. dancing chicken? The, the submissive chicken. The yeah. submissive chicken. Seriously. That's like the freakiest thing. Whoever does Burger King's uh, advertising, whatever agency that is, uh, you deserve a raise right now. Mm-hmm. Like your, your percentage needs to go up because they did that thing. There's that thing last month they did. Burger King had the most genius Facebook application where it was the deal that if you deleted 10 of your friends, they'd give you a free Whopper. <laughs> And they're like that, and it was a little application I that tracked it. Friends with those people. No, and you know, Facebook got all like, "You can't have that." We're gonna, and they disallowed it. They disabled it. You and know. to give them credit, their food has actually gotten better because I wouldn't eat at Burger King for years because I just found their burgers sort of disgusting. And uh, about six months ago, uh, we drove there and decided to like spring for one of their super expensive Angus steak burgers. Yeah. Or something. Oh my <laughs> God, those are good. Yes. Oh, yes, they are. Lordy Lord. Yes. Yes, they are. Uh, for a while, uh, they were doing this jalapeno burger thing that was just like the best thing on earth. And it's stuff that i got to be real careful with because I can just suddenly just – because the thing is I've kind of – you know, I've tried to broaden my diet, let's say, and just not eat nothing but, but that kind of food. But there's certainly a place for it, but i got to be real careful because, like, I can uh, – my, uh, uh, my dietary Cinderella can uh, turn back into a pumpkin. I'm mixing my things, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Because you know, I'm just a hillbilly, and so I can totally land. When I grew up, there was this place called Zips, and Zips was a burger uh, chain in the Northwest that I think is gone now. Uh, but Zips, their whole thing was it was like the, the triple cheeseburger that was like 15 pounds, and it was just fan-freaking-tastic. And I just uh, and growing up, you just eat that, and you, just, you develop that taste for that early on. You've got to be real careful not to let it run riot over your sensibilities. Like that Baconator thing at Wendy's. You've got to be careful with that thing, too. Uh, let's get a couple of these, then we'll resume the news. Uh, hello, hi, sir, madam, as the case may be. You're on the Rick Emerson hello. Show. What's up? Did, did you ever have the uh, that burger that Paris Hilton was advertising with the uh, deep-fried jalapenos around the burger? Is that the Carl's Jr. thing? Yes. I did not, although I'm a big fan of What is that thing at Carl's Jr., the $6 burger? Yes. I like that as well, <laughs> yes. So what are you guys going to do with the time slot when Lycus is off? Well, I'm glad you asked that, sir. And oh, yeah, I was supposed to remind you to talk about that. Literally, like, ten seconds ago. I was ago, distracted by this. Yeah, Sarah and I were in the hallway <laughs> during the break talking about something, and I said, oh, don't, let me forget the, you know, let me forget to mention the Lycus thing again. So, um, and we're not hiding it, and I'm making a big secret about it. I, somebody called yesterday, just as a, by way of a preamble. Somebody called yesterday, and they said, hey, uh, we heard this uh, rumor Lycus is going off the air. What's up with that, and what about Adam Carolla? And I sort of demurred a little bit. I said, well, I'm not going to speak for KUFO. Like, that's their deal. And they'll they'll kind of uh, handle the Adam Carolla situation because today was Adam's uh, last day. And 
We should say for the record, just like it was uh, with uh, Tim Riley, you know, an economic decision, an amicable parting. Nobody's irritated at anybody, whatever. But I said, you know, that's, you know, they'll handle that their own way. I said, as for Lycus, we're not going to have any immediate changes, and we'll we'll sort of let it play out as it plays out. And somebody who you and then yesterday, Tom said, hey, by the way, Friday's my last live show, and. This guy emailed me and he's like, "You're a, you're a, you're a sellout corporate whore. You, you should have answered." And you know, my thing is that it's not my place. Just like you know what, just like uh, nobody else was coming on and saying, "Hey, guess what? Uh, Tim Riley's leaving." You know, they let us do that and they let us break the news. So you know, so it was with Adam and Tom. You know, Adam let Adam Carolla and Tom Likas break the news their own way. So that being said, yesterday Likas made the announcement that today is his last live show. Uh, it just again, because of financial decisions made by the company, Tom himself was very gracious and said, look, there's no animosity, there's no anger. You know, it's, as he put it, it's not his train set. He's just the guy that they let drive it for a while, and, you know, they got to do what they got to do and whatever, all that stuff. That being said, today uh, from 3 to 5, you want to be listening. And I say specifically 3 to 5 because in Los Angeles, uh, the format change, which is going to result in Tom's show being off, at least for now, happens at 5 p.m., so from 3 to 5 today, Tom is going to be live doing his kind of wrap-up and his farewell and goodbye and, and all that. Uh, and then uh, from 5 to 7, we'll have some archived Tom like stuff, some stuff from past shows. For the foreseeable future, uh, we are going to be doing some of the best stuff from the time that Tom has been on the air. And we've, you know, that's going to be put together, and it's just some of the best stuff from, from the history of the Tom Likas show. That will be on for a while. And, you know, as far as, a, you know, a more permanent solution to that, uh, you know, it, there's a lot of stuff that's possible. And I don't say that to be deliberately vague or weird. It's just I don't want to say anything until anything is, is finalized and whatever. But, you know, you will you will know as soon as it's known, sir. Cool. All right. So well, be, I also want to say uh, thanks to Sarah again for those guest spots at the Mercy Devil show. <gasps> oh, did you have a good time? Oh, it was amazing. Awesome. Sarah, yeah, it was such a good way to spend Valentine's Day. Sarah, Sarah is people who knows people, sir. That's right. All right. Oh, sorry. All right. Thank you, my friend. All right. Have a good weekend. There you go. All right. We'll get more phone calls in a moment. This, however, from Los Angeles is CNN Radio correspondent and living God, Jim Roof. Hello, sir. Gosh, will the changes ever cease? No. Do you remember when, and I do because it was just like 40 days ago, I remember when uh, the new year was upon us and everybody was kind of going, I can't wait for 2009. Things are going to be more stable then and all of this madness will cease. No. No, no, no. And it's only in February. He's not even done. Oh, God. Um, anyway, so I will say, uh, just again, one more time, if people didn't hear it yesterday, as I knew he would be, and there was never any doubt about it. Uh, it, it like us, uh, you know, just like Tim Riley, uh, just like Adam Carolla, uh, like us a total pro. And he he really just made. I don't get all uh, sappy about it. I'll let Tom do that. Uh, but it's because it, he did some of it yesterday. But, you know, he. He's one of those guys where, you know, he, as we say in broadcasting, he's a polarizing figure. And people are on, you know, opposite sides of the spectrum sometimes with Lycus. But that is a guy who's been in radio since he was 14. And he told, when Lycus talks about radio and working in radio and how he, as a boy, came to work in the radio industry, regardless of what anybody thinks about any of the other stuff he does, and as we talk about that all day, when he talks about radio and the love of radio, it's really just one of the best things you'll ever hear. Because you can tell he's just, you know, he's just, he's a true believer. You know, he's one of those guys that just, just, it's like uh, somebody was talking about Leno versus Letterman one time. And I'm sorry for just bringing you on, Jim, in the monologue here. I'll wrap this up in a second. But somebody was talking about Letterman versus Leno. And, you know, God bless Jay Leno and all his success. This is a tough racket. But the difference to me between Leno and Letterman is that, is that Leno is a comedian who got a talk show, 
And Letterman is a broadcaster. And there's a difference to me. Uh, and that may sound pretentious and whatever. That's, that's you know, if somebody thinks that's pretentious, that's, that's your bailiwick, friend. So, you know, uh, but Letterman is a broadcaster. And there's, you know, a real love for the medium. And Lycus has that, too. And you can really hear it on a day like yesterday. And I suspect on a day like today... Uh, you know, when he talks about radio, which is really a kind of magic. And, you know, everybody knows I can babble about that forever, but it's uh, quite something. But, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a it's a weird time. I'll give you that. It is a um, it is a strange time. And you, you I mean, you're, you you know that as well as anybody, Jim. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's all very odd. But, uh, you know, what are you going to do? And By the way, that's one of the best descriptions of the differences between Leno and Letterman I've ever heard. It's, you know, and I think it's it, 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 exactly it. I think that it's, and again, I don't mean to knock Leno. Leno has made a lot of money and a lot of, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's made it to the, to the, to the top, uh, you know, in, in a, in a field that's very competitive. And to, to put it mildly, there's just for me, uh, it is just, and I think for a lot of people, there is a depth to Letterman as a person and as a talent that just, uh, that just isn't there with Leno. And I remember it was never more crystal clear to me than after 9/11. When, you know, everybody was off the air for a couple of days and everybody came back and it was a question of, well, what is so-and-so going to do on their first post 9-11 show? What is so-and-so going to do on their first post 9-11 show? And John Stewart did his thing, which is great. Leno, Leno, I don't mean to knock Leno. It sounds like a horrible thing to say. It sounds like an awful thing. I almost feel bad saying it. But when Leno came back on after 9-11 and he did the big rally around the flag, we're all one country thing. I don't, I'm not saying he didn't mean it, but it, it just felt, it didn't resonate quite as quite as as real with me it almost felt like it had been a little focus grouped his his speech and i know that sounds awful but it just it just felt a little plasticky letterman though letterman's first show after 9-11 is still one of the best things i have ever seen done with 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 the medium of television it is because that was the day he had dan rather on and dan rather you know you know lost his composure a few times but it, it was just i get chills actually thinking about it and it's it's which is weird because, you know, it's so easy for anything that was 9-11 to get, like, an automatic buy of, like, oh, it was great and it was emotional. Because, of course, it's emotional, 9-11. But Letterman, like, the minute he came out and started speaking after 9-11, like, the weight, the, the gravitas, to use that, that word, is just, you know, it was, it was just, it, the, the difference was as stark as night and day right there. So, anyway, but uh, now we're just busy, uh, now we're just busy talking inside baseball. <laughs> Uh, uh, let us talk about the uh, the Academy Awards. James Roop, our good friend Don Taylor, film critic for Film.com, is here with us as well. And so, uh, Jim, let me ask you, Jim, uh, you're there in Los Angeles. Uh, any big surprises uh, expected uh, tonight at the uh, the Oscars, Jim? <laughs> I hate that question. What, what, what's, the, what's the question you hate the most? And then I'll ask it. Well, in the my question I hate the most is, what are you wearing? Okay, how about this? <laughs> All right, we've got traffic and weather with uh, it together coming up later on. And then uh, in the afternoon, it's Larry, Mary, and Terry. They're going to get you home. And uh, don't forget, tomorrow at 6 a.m., the Breakfast Flakes, they'll be here and play Battle of the Sexes and giving away those Kenny Chesney tickets. Meanwhile, uh, Jim Roop, you're in Los Angeles. Uh, Don, you know the Oscars are coming up uh, on Sunday. Isn't that right, Don? The Oscars. That is exciting. <laughs> oh, boy, howdy it is. Now we just need a guy to laugh in the back. <laughs> you said it, Rick. You're the man. Um, our old Jim Rope. Yeah, you're in Los Angeles. Hey, Jim. Uh, uh, I don't want to be all Joan and Melissa here, but uh, what are you wearing? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Rick, I'm pantsless and greased. You, you know, that that whole thing about surprises. In my opinion, the surprises come in the nomination process. Right. That's when there are surprises. To me, it's like one in five at this point. Yeah. Anybody yeah. in that category can win. 
<laughs> I can't tell if that was a real laugh or a fake laugh right there. You know, I mean, well done, that was Don. just the best, the best thing ever. I mean, anyone in that category can win. I mean, yeah, I and, love and that. they all deserve to be there. I mean, it's like that's the thing, right? It's just like I don't know. It was a real shock when this guy who already had a twenty percent chance of winning won. Yeah, woo, won. <laughs> God, who'd have thunk it? Uh, but you, you know, there are obvious favorites, but they're not favorites in in a in a in a favorite kind of way. Right. Their favorites in, my favorite movie is Benjamin Button, so why would I want Slumdog Millionaire to win? Or my favorite movie is The Reader, so right. when it doesn't win, I'm surprised. But when when it comes down to something like the, the Academy, you know, that, that blue ribbon panel of let's see what we think is the best performance or the best picture based on our criteria of old stodgy voters, uh, Anybody can win, and, and and when when they pick their winner, they pick their winner, and and it's never a surprise to me. It's like, oh, that's the one that got it. But on the other hand, I mean, honestly, if Richard Jenkins wins for Best Actor, that will be a surprise. I, it, well, I, well, maybe we use the surprise, the word surprise, differently. <laughs> I I think it would be great because what's he done since or before? He's a commercial kind of guy. Yeah. You know, um, that would be great. This is his first trip down that red carpet. You know, I think I think that would be great. It wouldn't be a surprise if you've seen if you saw the movie and the performance. It was just as good as Brad Pitt's or Sean Penn's or Frank Frank Langella's. Uh, you know, in 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 the vehicle in which he was performing. So you're saying it would be a surprise if like they just decided to give it to Carrot Top, like for no readily. That would be a surprise. Somebody know? not in the category would be a surprise to me. They should just give an award to that. I don't know that uh, Marion Littlefeather or whatever her name was that like came up to get the thing for George C. Scott or whatever. <laughs> Marlon Brando. Uh, Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando. George C. Scott, um, wasn't he the one that gave his back or something? We have this discussion every year, and we never yeah. know. Who gives a crap? That's what I'm saying. Be right that here. as it may. Uh, I mean, there, there are great movies, and, you know, there are people that the Academy liked. Like, the Academy has never thought Sean Penn can do anything wrong. Right. So, to me, the, the real horse race in the best actor category between Mickey Rourke, who's been racking up the hardware this whole season, or Sean Penn, who the Academy just traditionally loved. Right, right. I don't think they'll give it to Frank Langella because, uh, you know, I, I think he was just in the right place at the right time. And Gary's case of Benjamin Button, while it's kind of an interesting movie, you know, it was a great nap for me, a very expensive nap. Um, you know, Mickey Rourke, he's the comeback story of the year. Right. So between Sean Penn and Mickey Rourke, I think it's going to be one well, of Well, they love human drama. They really do. That's the other thing the Academy loves. That's why the ledger thing, you know. And, and I, you know what they also love? They also love women. It's a bunch of old men on that academy. So if you take a look at who's been winning the uh, the best actress and supporting actress, they've all been young, beautiful women over the past several years. So I'm thinking they're not going to give this thing to Meryl Streep. She hasn't won an Oscar in 26 years. And but she's you know, been nominated 15. And that's the other thing. Don't you figure that probably everybody though who's voting looks at the thing and they go, Meryl Streep. I think she's got like. Didn't she just win last year? Probably because you just assume that she wins every she's year. She's always there. Yeah, you just figure like, no, no, no. I think she won like 10 she years won in a row. for Sophie's Choice. That's it. Really? I didn't know that. 26 years ago. You know, uh, but she's always there because she's always nominated. She wins Golden Globes and stuff like that, but you're talking about the brass ring. I think it ought to be like in Monopoly, though, where you can turn in your houses for a hotel. Like, I think if you're nominated five times, you ought to be able to trade that in for an actual statue. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I got five nominations. I can trade that in for like one you real... Get ten clicks on the card, you get a free haircut. Exactly. I, you there know, you that's go. a great thing. If All you right. walk down that carpet enough as a nominee, we're going to give you... And I think they do that. They always give an honorary Oscar to somebody at some point. They wait until you're 80 years old and blind in both but eyes, you though. you can't lift the damn thing. So you can't get on. So you get on stage uh, uh, like a, 
God, what's his name? Ilya Kazan. You get up there and you just, ah, and you just sound like Pope John Paul II or something. So, all right. On that note, uh, we have to uh, bring down the curtain on this. Uh, so enjoy your night. Uh, try to get really drunk, and then we'll talk to you on Monday, hopefully. I've started. All right. Good for you, sir. All right. Have a good weekend, my friend. Thank you. There you go, Jim Roop. All right. Running terribly behind here, but we got to get uh, talk to our good friend, Mr. Skin. Uh, uh, then we'll uh, then we'll guarantee. Some things that are going to be coming up uh, later on in the program. Uh, among them, Aaron Duran, and we'll do our final installment of Making a Scene, ladies and gentlemen, for the uh, uh, chance to win a pair of Oscar Night America 2009 tickets. And then we'll get this guy who wants to yell at me about something in Wilsonville. So that'll be exciting. Uh, all right, without further ado, uh, let's welcome to the Rick Emerson program from MrSkin.com, our good friend Mr. Skin. MrSkin.com, the online home of celebrity nudity. How are you, sir? Doing great, Rick. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for hanging on. I was a little bit of a uh, schedule kerfuffle today, oh. but... Uh, no problem. What is I'm, up in the, uh, in the world of bosoms? Sir? Well, we have our, at MrSkin.com, we have our, believe it or not, 10th annual Anatomy Awards. It's a, a big week here. I feel like a tax guy during April 15th. You know, it's uh, very busy times. We have the Oscars on Sunday night, and uh, every year we uh, do our Anatomy Awards the week of the Oscars to celebrate the uh, best in nudity from the previous year, and I thought I'd give you some of the highlights. Uh, one of the winners this year is the best Oscar-nominated nudity, and what that means is if you were nominated for a real Oscar but were naked in your role, which was the which was the best? And we chose Marissa Tomei in The Wrestler, uh, 44 years old, playing a stripper. She looks like a 24-year-old. Ridiculous stuff. We also have a an award for the best TV show, and this was really tough because there's so many great TV shows for nudity. That's how we judge the shows, of course. And uh, we chose uh, True Blood from HBO. It just was head and shoulders above the rest because any TV show that could get Anna Paquin and Lizzie Kaplan uh, nude in the same season is uh, going to be tough to beat. And let me just say congratulations on being the only person to bestow any award of any kind uh, uh, at all uh, of, uh, you know, on that program. So. Well, there's, we have 35 categories, so I'm sure about – 32 of them didn't get any awards other than these awards I'm giving them. So um, we also did a, a fun award, the best porn star gone Hollywood. As you know, Rick, a lot of porn stars kind of make the jump in the mainstream for little, uh, you know, they give it a, a, a crack, no pun intended, in the mainstream. And, uh, you know, you have Genevieve Jolie was on Entourage this year, and Jenna Jameson did an R-rated movie called Zombie Strippers. But we chose Katie Morgan in Zack and Mary Make a Porno as the best porn star gone Hollywood. She was very funny in that, but also very naked, which we love. And, uh, she was great. So uh, one other thing, we have a uh, Breast Picture Award, and as you know, uh, we don't really care about the acting or the directing or the cinematography. No, that's, that's silliness. No, it's silliness. Like, the, the runner-up was Bachelor Party 2, so that should tell you something. But we chose uh, Sex and Death 101 as our uh, breast picture because it not only featured four girls naked, but you had uh, Sophie Monk. Uh, completely nude, and Winona Ryder in her nude debut, which is uh, uh, very impressive. We were big fans of Sex and Death 101. And then uh, anyone who goes to the website will see the uh, usual suspects, best nip slip, nude comer of the year, uh, best nude in a, in a public place. Uh, we had a best... Uh, Best new daughter of a famous mother and best new daughter of a famous father. So lots, lots and lots of awards to check out at MrSkin.com. You really are like the Wonka's factory uh, of, uh, you know, of uncovered uh, accuracies. It really is quite glorious. So. And you see plenty of Wonka's at our website. So. 
No, I'm just uh, no, I mean, really. I mean, it is it is what it is what Al Rees and Jack Trout would call the miracle of line extension, where Pepsi <laughs> becomes Diet Pepsi, becomes Pepsi Free, becomes Pepsi Light, becomes Crystal Pepsi, and you've got all the bases covered, sir. <laughs> we have it all. All right, doing the Lord's work as always. Thank you, my friend. All right, Rick. Take all right, care. There you go, Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. I think Don might be in love with Mr. Skin. Well, who isn't? <laughs> I have to say, you know oh, what? Oh, that was just dreamy. Here's the thing, and I, I'm just going to say it right out. It, it, it is it, just as we were saying about Lycus. People are like, oh, Mr. Skin. I don't understand. You, you know what? Uh, you, you get bent. You know, I, this it's not you, Dawn. No, I mean, no, it's, it's, a, it's I'm a, just it's saying. One of those things I just don't get. No. I have a really good friend who is obsessed with celebrity breasts. Yeah. And looking at them on the internet and finding them and finding movies and 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 has to see a movie if some. Famous actress takes her top off, and I just and he's never been able to explain it to my satisfaction. Like why? This you know we the, one of the first times we had uh, him on. I think it was not even really like to do sort of the update. It was just a, the interview because I was just so fascinated. And this is like way before the um, the thing and uh, was it knocked up? I think had the whole thing about MrSkin.com. Yeah. And because I was just so fascinated by the whole that you make it really is like an only in America sort of a thing that you could make a living running a website where you just show horny dudes where they can finally see Winona Ryder's breast. I mean it's just like the best thing that's ever existed. And I had this discussion with him about his parents and like how do you like how do you, like if you have kids and like how do you introduce yourself at the PTA? Like what do you do? Um I'm a rabbi, you know, and he just you know whether he has the cover story, it's just it's just the greatest thing and the other great thing I love about about him is that there is no like there's no extraneous sort of cover. Like he's not no one. We believe that it's important, an important part of the artistic field that is not like f that. Like he's just if he's talking about zombie hookers, you know, part five or something. He just revels in it and he just does it with a he does it with a zeal that I find personally amusing. So, and I, and I will and as as sort of uh, uh, whatever the phrase is where you uh, contempt. No, where you reveal something. I can't remember what the phrase is. But I do. I actually know somebody who writes for him. Really? So, yeah. And so uh, I can't. And again, you know, I've had conversations Sherrod, with. Sherrod, you are. I've had, I've had conversations with, with this person where I've just got, I don't get it. We have, yeah, I, don't, I don't get it. Here's, the, by the way, the other amazing thing that you, people sometimes think that he just has like a Google site or the, the, something in front of him. And he doesn't. And I've asked other people about it. And it's like, he'll say. I don't know, uh, tell me about the like the third Jennifer Connelly nude scene. And he's like, you know, he'll get right to it. Hot spot, five minutes in, beach, you know, <laughs> left breast, part of a buttock. I mean, it's like a weird Rain Man, how many how many toothpicks uh, are on the table kind of a thing with that guy. So. I, and I, I just, is, he, is it still as exciting for him? Or has it just gotten kind of old news because he's making money at it? So now he's just continuing sort of the charade of being this fascinated by breasts, but really he's like, ah, more breasts, well, got to make the money. Or is he really still that into it? Are you implying that at some point the male fascination with breasts lessens or becomes, I, I don't know, uh, I guess I've seen one here for... <laughs> I have, in fact, seen them all. Well, a, a, a friend of mine was webmaster for a uh, very famous girly magazine, and he did tell me one day, he's like, I never thought I'd get tired of looking at women's parts, but oh, man, because like, all he did all day was sit there and just cut and paste JPEGs. But that's the thing is, but he's doing like the paste-up job yeah. or whatever. Where that's, but that's probably different because, you know what I mean, because that, or maybe it's not. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Is that we have, not surprisingly, uh, more than a few listeners who work in some facet of the porn industry, uh, like you know the uh, you know the Timmy Ryan late of this station now in Nashville. He uh, and his band, and I forget what they were called. They were, they were called like they were called like Black Hole Expedition or something. It was just something insane. But they did music for porn films, and he's like the director sends it over, and you know, and he, like insanely, the director like notes for the following scene musically, you know. 
up-tempo with just a hit, you know, a, a bit of swing and a jazzy sort of relaxed vibe or whatever. And they would sit there and they'd watch the porn film like three or four times and then they would just play along and then they would do the thing. Uh, and we got people that, you know, that, are, that do – there's a guy who listens to the show who does – it's not hardcore, it's just softcore stuff, but it's, he does nothing but softcore girl-girl shoots. And I, you know, and I always have wanted to sit him down and go like, does it – I mean – what is the deal with that? Like, is that, is that, do you go home for, at the end of the day and you're just like incredibly like wound up and sexually frustrated or is it just, is it just like you turn it off and it's just like shapes in front of you or whatever? And I just, cause it is, that is a thing that, it is an unconventional uh, career choice, but you know, it does fill a, uh, fill an economic need, I suppose. But you know, maybe like uh, Civil War reenactors and, or guys who, uh, guys who like collect model trains or something, maybe, maybe the, the, the Mr. Skin fascination with breasts is just so all-encompassing sure that he not, will never get tired of it. Are you sure you're not still on uh, Prozac or something? <laughs> that you're comparing actual uh, naked breasts to model trains? Well, it is kind of a hobby. It, it's it's a hobby for him. Oh, that it's not just a hobby. A, a, a business empire, you know. So. Well, I think it's, isn't that the thing in Knock Up? Where the guy's like, I have this great idea for a website where you get you know you be able to see which celebrities are in. The guy's like, yeah, it's called MrSkin.com. I mean. And, oh. And every guy knows what I'm talking about. Then we'll take a break here. Every guy knows the phenomenon uh, of which I am about to speak. And that is, I think I was talking to, you and David Walker, was, we were talking to you about the video store. And how when I was a kid, we'd just go rent all these cheesy horror films on a Friday. And we would, you know, like, you know, Fright Night 3 and we'd just sit at home and watch them. And I spit on your grave 9. And we would go home, we'd watch all these. But one of the other things is that when you were a guy and there was some movie, especially as a teenage boy, where there was nudity of any variety, back in the good old days of VHS, it was just no, like you would go to the video store and you would rent like Spring Break or something, or, you know, like a Hard Bodies 2, and you'd take it home, you watch it. It was not a porn film, it's just like one of those like teenage sex comedies, has a lot of uh, a lot of skin in it, and you would get to the sequence where like, the girl is, you know, drunk at the party and taking off her top, and then suddenly the picture would get all wobbly and warpy, and it's because clearly uh, some, probably many someones, had just spent countless hours rewinding and pausing and playing frame by frame over and over and over and over again. So, hence... Again, though, I mean, as a teenage boy, I think I could see the fascination. The, the, the thing that baffles me is like the 35-year-old men that go onto Mr. Skin and go, ooh, Anne Hathaway's boobies. I don't understand this. I I'm just don't get it. So little that you know. <laughs> All right. We'll take a break. Back after this, it is the uh, Rick Emerson radio program. Coming up later on, Aaron Duran will be here. We'll talk more about the Oscars and your final chance to win a copy, a uh, pair rather, of Oscar Night America 2009 tickets for making a scene. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere. Wonderful. Well, never seen anyone look up at the ceiling so lovingly while telling a story. About Vicodin and Maker's Mark. <laughs> Her own little speedball. That's great. Now, the speedball is the Vicodin and the uh, the energy drink. Oh, and the Viso. The Viso Will. Yeah. Then you get, like, the speediness from, like, the 300 milligrams of caffeine in the Viso Will. And then, like, the smooth opiate sensation of the Vicodin simultaneously. I, I certainly don't know anything about drinking an entire Viso and the taking Ativan. Uh, yeah, I don't know anything about that. Is perhaps an analog to your story. Yeah. The, we were talking about the hillbilly speedball, <laughs> rhapsodizing about Vicodin during the break, as is our want. And uh, but I said the great thing to me about Vicodin is that 
I mean, and you were there, they give you like a dreamy. Do you get like a dreamy floating on a cloud thing with Vicodin? Sometimes, if I if I if they take it and then go to go to bed, there's always that nice going to sleep on Vicodin, kind of like going to sleep ah, on a blanket made yeah. of marshmallow cream. Yeah, yes. mostly mostly I just they make me feel just happy. <laughs> I just smile and, and then, I'm happy. And we give it to Sarah. Sarah says, "Well, I've never taken Vicodin." And immediately, Don and I are just sort of like, "Oh, you don't even know." <laughs> it's like when someone says they haven't seen. You know, they someone said, well, I've never seen, uh, you know, whatever, Titanic. But I'm bad, but, you know, and you go like, oh, you You've don't. You've never had that fudge made with the marshmallow cream? I've never heard oh Dark Side of the Moon. And you go, oh, you don't even know. It's just, I envy your first listen to that album. <laughs> and that's my thing with Vicodin. The great thing about Vicodin is it is like the absolute, it is the scorched earth policy of pain relief. That's what's so great about it. It's like you could cut off your hand in like just some sort of a some sort of like a, a like a, a, a cutty stabby whirring machine. Doesn't matter. Take a Vicodin. You look down and you go. Eh, I guess that'll hurt sometime, but not now. And the thing is, it doesn't actually even make all of the pain go away. It you just don't care. Yeah, yeah. It's really, you're just like, oh yeah, that hurts. Yeah. It is. Here's the thing. Uh, Vicodin is... And then we, then we have to move on because I know you're going to talk about Vicodin for like a half an hour. We have a lot of stuff to do on the okay. show today. We should have like a, a four-minute... No, look, we have a 90-second window I can talk But it has to be to the Requiem for a Dream theme. Okay. Vicodin in 408. The, uh, no, I'm just, I'm just going to say that Vicodin is to, is to like physical sort of pain as like a Valium, Prozac, whatever, is to like some sort of emotional upset. Where you can tell that it's there, it just, it, you just don't, it doesn't bother you. You know what it is? It's, it's like, um, I don't know, it's sort of like a tarantula in a big, thick glass box from which it cannot escape. <laughs> You're like, that thing would probably be causing me pain or discomfort or unnerving me. But it's in that box where it can't even touch me. I'm going to be on television! All right. Well, now I'm done. <laughs> now well, that's all I have to do is find a sound report. And you'll so stop. I have to sit here like Ellen Burstyn. Oh, stop it. Stop it. Ma, do you have lots of pep? From the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Don Taylor. And I will preface this by saying that this uh, story was folded in half and handed to me, so I could not peek at it. Uh, this, by the way, is a news story we're going to read here in the uh, news segment of this, uh, the Rick Emerson program, which broadcasts on AM 970 KCMD Portland, a news talk Radio station. Sent us by the demented Aaron Duran. Aaron Duran sent us this. Don Taylor, read that story. And as I read it, I want you all to know that this is the first I've seen it, too. Boy killed anally when office chair explodes. A 14-year-old boy in China was killed when his chair exploded, sending chunks of metal into his rectum. Rectum? The bleeding is, the, the, the bleeding is what killed him. Uh, the alleged explosion came from... Alleged. It's an alleged explosion? Alleged explosion. Well, the story also said... The ble- we think he may have just sat down too hard. You know, the, it, it also... It says, the bleeding this caused killed him, <laughs> is what it says here. So I don't know who wrote this. Uh, the alleged explosion came from the gas cylinder that was in the base of the chair, the part that allowed the user to adjust the seat up and down. You know, I'm sitting on a chair just like that I'm right now. I'm sitting on a chair just right. like that, too. Well, the canister is compressed when you sit on it. But apparently it can also create enough energy to make the seat cushion explode and kill you anally. You know, of all the ways I'd like to be killed, anally is near the bottom of the list, I would think. I, uh... Okay. That is so awful, and now I'm never sitting down again. I... I knew somebody who almost lost an eye adjusting one of those chairs once, because that, that compression thing, something can just go flying off of there, and metal parts Sorry. can... 
Can you I know. can I tell you? Can I reveal something? Can I reveal a totally <laughs> irrational fear that I have? And uh, this is something I've made fun of in other people, but it, it was a thing where I was trying to pro- I was projecting my own fear onto other people, and I was criticizing at others what I hate about myself. I don't know how to live. I don't, Sarah. Chris Patrick and I just sit there and weep into boxes of Apple Jacks every night. Um, and then we bump chests. Uh, so uh, Joni, uh, our, uh, our good friend Joni DeRoshi, uh, exhibited a fear of this thing one time, and I ridiculed her mercilessly. And it's because I'm afraid of it too, and I wanted to, I wanted to like stamp out that hate and you know to put my hate on someone else. She had that whole thing about she's always afraid that when she's uh, inflating one of the tires in her car, it's going to explode and take off her face. I totally have that same fear, and you know why? It's because once, about 19 years ago on Oprah, I saw a woman that that happened to. And she's like, our next guest doesn't have a face, you know? And then it's like they, they you pan over to, like, you know, just Wait, like... what happened to the face? The, the woman was, like, bending down and, like, had the big, like, thing at the gas station. You put in 50 cents and you fill your tire full of air. And, like, you know, you put it in like a... And you're like, all right, hold on, let me drag it across the hood and get the front... Uh, let me get the front right tire. All right. And she was inflating the tire, and apparently there was a weak spot in the tire. And she didn't know, and I guess... It was one of those things that's like a glass-belted radiator or something. Something you don't want to explode right next to your face. Um, Rick, I, too, have the exploding tire. Do you? When I'm on the freeway and I'm driving by, um, like, a semi-truck, I am so terrified that one of the tires, because you always see their tires on the side of the road, I'm so terrified that one of the tires is going to fly off and go through my side window and, and kill me. Now, what about when you're... Now, do you put air in your own tires? No. Really? When is the last time? Well, who does it then? Because it's not like you take your car and you get service. You've seen me. I ride my bike to work on flat tires. Well, that's true. All right. Well, okay. Then no, I, guess... I have a total fear of it. I'm so afraid to all like speed. I'll go like 90 around um like a, a fat, like a slow moving. Oh, what's well, like me with logging trucks? I will completely court death by whipping around into a blind oncoming lane at 80 miles an hour mm-hmm. on a rain slicked road at two in the morning when it's been uh, you know when it's been pouring ice and toads all day, just so I don't sit behind the big final destination log. That is like one rusty link away from coming to the windshield and mansfielding me. So I, will I, I have that fear when I'm behind a, a, some kind of a turn or something, and it's got like um, rebar. Mm-hmm. Because I've just seen so many news stories about yeah. the rebar going through the windshield and oh, into yeah. somebody's head. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, ter- I won't drive behind a car that's like got rebar strapped. And, and to the it. thing about rebar is, it's probably not going to kill you. That's just going to be a maiming, and then you won't be able to remember your last name. Well, it'll be one of those stories like we read here, where it's like, you know, a man got rebar through his head and lived. <laughs> So, and then your wacky nickname on the sitcom would be Rebar, you know? <laughs> hey, here's Rebar! And everybody applauds, and you go, ah, <laughs> Totally, exactly. <laughs> I was going to go the what's happening uh, route, but you went the Sanford and Son route. Well done. <laughs> and then your catchphrase would be like, oh, it hurts. All right. Uh, and so forth. Plus, it also, there was this episode of Buffy where Cordelia fell like, through the unfinished floor of a house and landed, and some rebar went uh, went uh, right through. Plus, uh. if you ever went to OMSI and you saw that exhibit on Phineas Gage, you know who Phineas Gage is? No. The strange case of Phineas Gage. It's a real person, and they had a replica of his skull there that you could see there for the longest time. Phineas Gage was a guy who was working, and I forget the details of the story, but he was working with some sort of a steam, like a steam engine or a, you know some sort of a, a thing that generated a lot of pressure inside a piece of metal, and there was a bunch of whatever. Anyway, the steam equipment he was working on reached critical mass, a weak spot, bam, it exploded, and it shot a huge, basically like a, it looked like a crowbar, basically, but it didn't bend. It was just a steel rod. A steel rod up through, like, the bottom, like, underneath his chin, you know, like, through the, like, through his jaw, up out the top of his head. Like, it didn't stay, it just went all the way through, right through, and he lived, and it, he didn't have any noticeable health, it didn't affect his health, it didn't, it didn't affect his motor skills, but 
as there's this whole placard in front of the replica of his skull that has just a big hole in the top. And said so for the rest of his life, though, friends said that he seemed somewhat irritable and talked in an, in an accent that they had never heard before. And so, like, he was totally normal, except he had a weird accent and he seemed kind of grumpy. And so that's always what I figure. It's like the rebar is going to go through my head. And then, it, like, on the other side, it, and I'll be totally normal, except that I'll want to talk about, like, uh, you know, like whipped cream or something all the time. But, like, really angrily. But then everything else would be exactly the same. And that would be different. How? She's Don Taylor, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Here's uh, Don Taylor with the nose. We have a penis watch. Yay. Here's your uh, penis watch for Friday. By the way, if you ever get to Philadelphia Litter Museum at the uh, College of Physicians and Surgeons, uh, that's like that. Uh, we had this couple who came in. They actually MySpaced me the other day, actually. Remember Cross Country Nate and his girlfriend? Oh, my God. Yeah, we never heard from them. Like, we just assumed they were dead or something. I like, think, uh, yeah, I don't know what happened. I think they met a couple. They had a baby or something, right? They had a baby, and they were doing, these listeners who were doing a cross country trip from here to there and back again. And they had the listeners kind of plot out things to see along the way. And then I think at a certain point, their money ran kind of low, and they, and they were kind of hippies. And so they, they met some other family, and they just kind of lived with this other family, just sort of communed or whatever for a while. And they actually messaged me a while back. So everything is good on their end, and they're still together, and their kid is a couple years older now, whatever. But somebody, they had laid out their route, and somebody found this museum along the way. And I don't know if they ever went there or not, but it was, it was a museum of mental illness that was actually in a former asylum. And, like, one of the exhibits was just crazy artifacts and things that patients had made. And one of them was, like, an exact replica of, you know, of a television made out of my own hair. Uh, you know, and it was all, like, really odd and whatever. And so I've always wanted to go to that place. Uh, not inside my own head. I mean, I've always wanted to go to that place within myself. I've always wanted to go to that just to see an externalization of someone else's crazy. Because then it's like taking a plaster cast of your neuroses. You know, so you can kind of see what it looks like. I really wish we wouldn't have had that chair story because now I'm actually really freaked out. Are you thinking about it? No. You should think about it. Think about how you're sitting on like a canister that could explode at any time. And kill me anally? I'm sitting on the front of my chair and this is how I will sit in these chairs for the rest of my life. Well, I think that if it did explode, that's only going to save you so much. I mean, really, that's the thing. Being perched on the front. Uh, yeah, I, I don't... It'll just explode into your spine <laughs> rather than into your butt. Oh, <laughs> if I sit wonky and I can like... Then yeah. you just one cheek. Because that doesn't make you look like a crazy person. I'm not crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> okay. Quit looking at me. Here's Don Taylor. Penis watch. A naked former Queensland police media official accosted two male backpackers in the showers of an inner city hostel in Brisbane. Uh, Kevin John Looms, 58, also a former Queensland Emergency Services media director, uh, pled guilty in the Brisbane Magistrate's Court to two counts of performing indecent acts. Uh, he stopped at a backpacker's hostel, uh, on his way home from work in December of last year. Uh, apparently, he entered the first floor shower cubicles before undressing and approaching a 22-year-old male guest who was showering at the time. After a brief conversation, Looms began masturbating in front of the man. He then entered the fourth floor showers where he approached another 22-year-old male backpacker. Uh, Senator Constable Davidson said Loomis stood naked in front of the man with his hand on his hip and the other holding his penis and then asked him, has this ever happened to you before? Lewis, well, I mean, look, at least he's asking clarifying questions up front just to sort of get any awkwardness out of the way. If, uh, so, if they, yes, this has. Okay, well, then never mind. It's not new. 
Maybe that's his if whole it's thing. Not fresh. You know, maybe that's he just wants to. You know, he wants to bring people exciting, unique experiences. Well, the two 22-year-old men apparently were traveling together, and they complained yes. to the hostel staff. And so, uh, he's a a married man. Of course. Uh, who has, and it's the second time he's been embroiled in controversy in less than two years. In 2007, um, oh, actually, no, this was a different guy, a, a different um, fellow director of Queensland Police Media in 2007 resigned amid allegations of sexually explicit material being found on his work laptop. By the way, I should say that I do like, uh, just linguistically, the fact that he was approaching people with his penis, and the people he was approaching uh, were, in fact, backpackers. So there's something there's something amusing there. I like the detail that he had one hand on his hip. Sort of like in a saucy pose. Yes, he was, sort of, he was jaunty. It was like he was sort of expecting kind of a congratulatory round of applause or something. Like, has this ever, like, come on, can we all just get an acknowledgement of this then? Has this ever happened to you? I mean, come on. All right, there's your penis watch for Take a look thank at you. my enormous penis. My troubles start to melting away. I take a look at my enormous penis. By the way, uh, so Don Taylor uh, sat next to Lara and I, uh, Don Taylor and her lovely husband, uh, Patrick, uh, sat next to, I guess lovely is the right way to put that. You know what I mean. <laughs> He's, He's a pretty, pretty man. <laughs> and your, uh, uh, and your, uh, your charming husband uh, sat next to Lara and I at Jonathan Colton, and the opening act at Jonathan Colton was this duo called Paul and Storm, not Storm Large, but the Paul and Storm who are, and we've said this before, they were in this, in the group Da Vinci's Notebook who did the Enormous Penis song, and there was this one moment during the show when they actually said, well, uh, we used to be in this band Da Vinci's Notebook, and we'd like to play a song from that time, or whatever, and I was, we were, I think, <laughs> everybody oh, who... Oh, please, the penis song. We were like, come on, sing the penis song, and then they didn't. It was something else. It was just such a tremendous letdown. Mm. I will never forgive myself for not knowing who they were when they were here and making them sing that. Yeah. Paul and Storm are awesome. They were though. unbelievable. They amazing. I will say this, uh, and I don't mean any disrespect to Jonathan Colton, because he, he came out, and it was just everything I was hoping for and more. But, you know, it's like opening acts always like, and now the Schmuck Sisters will bore you for 45 minutes and drive everyone to the beer garden. And so, it, like, you know, now Paul and Storm. And they came out, and at first I was like, oh, God, they're funny guys with guitars. This is going to be the worst thing ever. Because, you know, there's nothing worse. Look, we've talked about comedians a lot, and I, and I won't, I'm not going to dwell. Except, except to say that as useless as most comedians really are, the only thing more useless is a comedian with a guitar. I mean, like, I'd not like to sing some funny, some funny songs for you. <laughs> uh, this is like uh, Axl Rose was singing a James Taylor song. Okay. Uh, uh, all right. Uh, hold on. Let me tune. Wait. Hold on. Where's my tuning fork? You know, and you're just sitting there just going, I wish that I was dead. Um, so they came out, and they're kind of cracking jokes, and they have guitars. And I'm thinking, well, their first terrible. song is about being the opening act. That's when they won me over. And, and it's hilarious. And they were actually so good. That I actually at several points thought, how is Colton going to come out and top this? I and again, and he did. I mean, it was really, really great because he's different enough that it totally works. But it's just a testament to the, you know to how great he is that that you know that he came out. And it was you know it was even better than I expected. But Paul and Storm were so good that I for a while had doubts that that Colton could come out and not be anticlimactic. And then of course they they end everything all together. So it was just it was uh, quite something. Um, well, let's take a mystery call. Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, sir, or madam, is the case, maybe? Hi, it's Brantley. What's going on? Hello, how are you? What's up? <laughs> oh, not much. Hey, I just wanted to comment. Mike, it's absolutely amazing. You guys just made me take one. <laughs> really? <laughs> what if we were to start talking about how amazing it is when you send Rick Emerson $20 bills? Uh, I don't think you're quite that lucky. All right. Uh, are you driving, sir? Uh, yeah, actually, I am. Good, good for you. All right, well done. <laughs> 
right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Thank you. There you go. Well, now that Tom's not going to be on the air to say this uh, anymore, I can just steal it outright. Attention advertisers, you too can reach this prime demographic. All right. By the way, don't forget, uh, you want to be listening. Tom Likas' last live show happens today. Uh, and that, it actually happens today from 3 to 5. At 5 o'clock, we'll go to uh, some archive stuff, some of the best stuff from uh, previous years in the Tom Likas show. And that's going to be the case for the foreseeable future uh, when a, a permanent solution sort of solidifies. Uh, you'll be... Not the first. You'd be like the ninth to know. But, I mean, still, relatively speaking, I mean, in terms of pecking order, that's not bad. So that is today. The final live Tom Likas show uh, happens today. And as Tom himself said, it's not going to be uh, archived or podcasted or whatever. So you, you got to, you know, if you want to hear it, you got to make plans to hear it. So, And, Sarah, oh. you bicycled today. I bicycled. I know. I'm so bummed. But, yeah, Likas was my first job in radio. You know? Board hopping him in the afternoon doing traffic reports. i got to tell you, um, real quickly, I'll, I'll say this one thing. Uh, and then uh, and then we'll break. We'll come back with Aaron Duran, uh, more from Don Taylor. We have another pair of uh, uh, tickets to Oscar Night America 2009 we'll give away, and I do believe we have another installment of You Know Who You Are. We do. I'll just say this one thing about Tom Likas, that, um, and, it, you know, blah, 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 polarizing figure, blah, blah, blah. Some people love to hate him and, you know, whatever, all that. Uh, I, I will say that in 1994, before I ever had a talk show, in 1994, I was a... Uh, I was a, a morning drive DJ, and I was uh, doing mornings at a rock and roll station, and I was playing, you know, like, here's Black Oak, Arkansas, and blah, 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 is your traffic coming up with the traffic guy and the traffic chopper and the blah, 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 and it was just all just terrible, and I just, I, I just, you know, it was just not, I was not having a good time, and it was just not, you know, it, it, it was just, it was just not really what I, what I wanted to be doing at that point in my life, and um, anyway, so that was in, in early 94. And then in June of 94, I think it was, the Tom Likas show, the national Tom Likas show, debuted. And the station I was working at, our sister station right across the hall, was one of the the pilot stations for that. In other words, when Tom went on the, went on the air in 94 with his national show, we were one of the very first places to carry it. And it was I heard it from day one. I heard the very first Tom Likas show that he did nationwide. I can remember it like it was yesterday. And the very first thing that Tom Likas did is he came out. Uh, and he came out. He came on the air, and he just comes out, and he's like, "Hello, I'm the Tom Likas. You know, this is the Tom Likas show." And he did his whole thing of like, "This is a show that is not hosted by a right wing wacko and convicted felon." And at that time, you got to remember that it was all just not just Rush Limbaugh, but it was all like a million bad Rush Limbaugh clones. It's like Rush Limbaugh and Oliver North and Pat Buchanan and Mary Madeline and Michael Reagan and just like any jackass with a microphone, they'd just sit there and they would be given a show, and it was all it was crap. I mean, Rush notwithstanding, there was it was just crap. It was just boring. It wasn't even that I disagreed with it. It was just dull. It was uninteresting. And it didn't talk about anything that resonated with me or anybody else. And so then in June of 94, Tom comes on the air and he's like, this is the Tom Likas show. And he said, I'm going to play something for you right now. It's the new Rolling Stones single. And he played what at that time was the new Stones single, which is called Love is Strong. And by the way, his theme song, you know, Tom was coming on to Enter Sandman by Metallica, which right away kind of set him apart. But he, he came out and he said, here's the new Rolling Stones single. He played about 30 seconds of the new Stones single. And he said, he said, you know, the Rolling Stones, does anybody, you know, really, you know, care about a new Rolling Stones single at this point? He said, old news. He, you know, there are rock acts out there that are really washed up that you don't need to hear from anymore. These rock acts that you saw them and they're embarrassing. They're burned out. He goes, I want to talk about the worst, most burned out rock star you ever saw perform on stage. It's like, call me right now. And then he went into a break. And now maybe that doesn't seem all that revolutionary. It doesn't seem all that, you know, groundbreaking. But that's because everybody does that kind of stuff now. And at the time in 1994, when everything was just this wash of just pablum-esque cream of wheat radio and, and, and tepid cream of wheat radio with that, 
it really was like nothing I had ever heard. It just it changed the whole way that I thought about radio, and it changed the way I thought about talk radio. And it was the first time I, it was the first time it had ever occurred to me that talk radio could be about what we now call pop culture, which is music and movies and television shows. And so when I sit here and we talk about Battlestar Galactica, or when Don Taylor and I are geeking out about Jonathan Colton, or we're talking about uh, Zombie Hookers 9, or when Sarah and Chris Paddock are talking about Lost, or we're doing a top five of, you know, what are the top five most overrated guitar solos or whatever. I never would have known you could have done any of that if it wasn't for Tom Likas. So that being said, uh, today is Tom Likas' final live show, at least for now. That is at 3 o'clock today. Be listening. Back after this, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. We return next. Why, hello, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into whimsy. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Coming up later on this hour, we'll do our final installment of Making a Scene uh, for this week. Uh, up for grabs your chance to win our final pair of tickets to Oscar Night America 2009. Coming up this Sunday, Portland's historic Hollywood Theater. Uh, Sarah X. Dillon, Tim Riley, myself, Richie Bristol, as Rochelle Crystal, Darcel, Jay Malone, Rod Hill from K2. Uh, everybody will be there. That is uh, for this Sunday's uh, Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences telecast. So that is coming up this Sunday. You can find out more or get tickets at filmaction.org. And uh, by the way, we wouldn't take a moment to uh, congratulate Lori Rushford. Uh, she is the winner of the AM970 listener bailout uh, for this week. She also has won a pair of Oscar Night America 2009 tickets. So congratulations, Lori Rushford. All right. Uh, still to come, more from Don Taylor of Film.com and Aaron Geek in the City Duran will join us. And uh, so forth. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from our sister, sister station, Rock 101, KUFO. Bobby Fatboy Roberts. Of, uh, Hello. Uh, Fatboy. Hello, sir. How are you? How y'all doing? I am fantabulous. <laughs> right, let's uh, before we do anything else, let's get the whoring uh, uh, out of the way. Oh, so that's forget right. about it. Oh yeah, I totally forgot. Uh, Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar at the Baghdad. Friday nights at 10 p.m. every night. Friday night until the show is over. Doors open at nine. Be there at nine because this thing has yet to see a single empty seat. So uh, this episode is the one written by uh, Jane Espenson. You may know her from Buffy yes. and Angel. Um, the episode she wrote today was so good, they went ahead and had her write the movie that is coming out after the show was over. Really? That's that's what got her the movie. They're like, oh, good job on this episode. And so we're now, this is now, I'll say it, the final five episodes. The final five episodes, sort right. of, kind of. After this, there are only four more episodes, but the last two episodes are one big three-hour movie. And by the way, just I know that last week people were asking, are you going to show are you gonna show Dollhouse before? No. And here's the thing. It, it, and that turned out to be the right decision in so many ways, because I have to tell you, <laughs> it's sitting on my TiVo, and I still haven't watched it. It's just sitting there going, you should watch me someday. I'm full of quirky dialogue. And, you know, Actually, just, it's you know, not full of quirky dialogue. I think that's the thing I heard. I heard that it doesn't even seem like a Whedon show. It's kind of it's kind of boring. Um, he's got a lot of setup. Maybe the next two or three episodes will be okay, but it's kind of boring. Yeah, I, you know, I just uh, and and I've gotten so jaded about not just the way that uh, television deals with series that I like, which mm -hmm. is to to destroy them. Yeah. Uh, but also the way that Whedon deals with things I like, which is to destroy them. <laughs> That's his whole thing, right? Whedon's whole deal is both in terms of the characters and yeah. then in terms of the quality of the show. It's like, you know, he does that whole thing of like, let me build something beautiful in front of you so I can crush it. You Do you know? love this yet? Do you love this yet? Do you love this yet? I'm going to put a telephone pole through its chest. Exactly. Oh, yeah. look at your love. Look how stupid you are to love things. Yes. And that's the lesson I teach. 
Angel has a baby. Oh, and now he's a teenager. <laughs> oh, and he's a douchey teenager too. Yeah. So yeah. I just, I'm just kind of jaded about the whole thing. So I'll let it, you know, I'll let it, I'll yeah. let it sit there. And it, I'm gonna do uh, kind of what I'm doing with Lost, which is to, uh, you know, let it roll on. Mm. And if people then tell me later on, no, 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 seriously, I've seen it all. I've done the work for you. Go, you know, I've tasted your food. It's fine. <laughs> Try it. Then I'll go back and I'll watch it, just like yeah. I'll watch Lost. You know, all the way well, through. Well, Whedon himself has pretty much uh, said. Wait until like the third or fourth episode, and then watch the first three in a row. Because he said the first four episodes are basically four completely different pilots. Well, that's great. Yeah. Or just wait for more Doctor Horrible. How about that? Hmm. I'll do that, Joss. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, without further ado, so we uh, rolled out this ad hoc uh, segment on uh, Tuesday that is already uh, is already kind of I think it's become an ongoing feature because people immediately gravitated to it. And, and incidentally, I referred to somebody yesterday who works upstairs, and this person has a very specific, very uh, intense complaint about another person who works upstairs, about a tick, a mannerism that this second person uh, has, uh, uh, something they do sort of compulsively that drives uh, the first person just just crazy. And I asked the first person, I'm like, look, you got to work up there and I don't. Like, I'm down here uh, protected. You're up there and people might know who you're talking about and that might become unpleasant. How you know? How do you feel about it? And this person's like, "Screw it! I'll do it now." So that's not going to happen today, but probably sometime uh, next week uh, we'll get to that. But in the meantime, in between time, it is another installment of "You Know Who You Are" uh, from our good friend Bobby Fatboy Roberts. Okay, you in the office, the open air office, no cubicles, approximately thirty square feet in total. You who pedal to work at least ten miles. In one of those ridiculous racing outfits, as if you're Greg freaking LeMond or something, as if you expect your morning commute to our tiny open-air office will end with some mouth-breather draping a jacket over your shoulders and you smiling from a Wheaties box. You, who strips off your sweaty shoes and wrings out your sweaty socks and lets them molder under your desk like a pyramid ancient gods built to honor the celestial putrescence of your funky-ass feet. You would be an inconsiderate, simple-minded thoughtless bastard for this alone a self-centered superficial play-acting costume-wearing douchebag on a level even professional Renfair organizers would consider excessive but this is not why you are being called out no filling the air with your foot funk is the least of the problems because most days the scent is hidden by your choice of lunch that you choose to uncork like a wine Satan himself fermented in his bowels a wine made of sulfur and goat cheese and highly concentrated failure you with the homemade kimchi, you stupid, posing, <laughs> clueless asshead with your steaming, reeking bowl of homemade kimchi that smells as if roadkill itself impregnated your body and the child was stillborn and putrefied in your own stomach for 30 years. A food that, when prepared properly, looks and smells like someone drove a truck full of animal parts through a honey bucket. A food that you... Do not prepare properly. A food that you consume daily with a blank look on your insipid face as your feet slowly turn to blocks of bare Limburger under your desk. A desk contained in a bare 30-square-foot office with no cubicles. You are not Greg LeMond. You are not Korean. You are a peach-buzzed, vacuous, slack-jawed, Portland hipster douchebag, and you need to keep your shoes on and eat something mildly less intestinal. Maybe a chalupa. Maybe some ramen. You can be a loose collection of desperate 20-something cliches in search of a prefabricated identity that fits as snugly as your $45 thrift store butt rock t-shirt. You can do that. Just don't make it so goddamn fragrant. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, you know who you are.
Bobby Fat Boy Roberts. Thank Does you that feel good? Isn't it cleansing? A oh bit? yeah. Oh, oh, I can do that all day. See, and the great thing about it is, by anonymizing the other person, you do not need to anonymize yourself by sending a. This is from someone in the office. No. You know, or no, whatever. Exactly. So, excellent. Well, all right. And we should do. By the way, just before we uh, before we break this up. So, uh, Don, having done yours on Tuesday about a an acquaintance of yours whose body odor offends, mm -hmm. uh, have you noticed any change? Have you been well, able to see this? I haven't this? actually seen him. I don't think he heard it because I I went. I didn't talk to him for a couple of days, and then I wondered. Oh my God, I wonder if he's mad at me. And so then yesterday, I like, hey, how you doing? And I am. And he responded, hey, I'm fine. I'm good. So he has no clue. Uh, I don't uh, think he even heard uh, it. Sarah and I haven't, seen, I haven't seen the mustache uh, or, or lack thereof. But I, <laughs> I will be seeing the mustache sometime next week. And we've already gotten some listener submissions for this uh, as well. So we'll uh, probably next week, uh, maybe on the next Tuesday or something, we'll do another installment of that. All right. Uh, Court and Fatboy, Rock 101, KUFO, mm -hmm. with 3 to 7 afternoons. And, of course, tonight uh, at the Baghdad for Battlestar Galactica. Free. Be there. And get your podcast love over at courtandfatboy.com. All kinds of goody, tasty extras enclosed in the podcast. So, you thank you very much. All right, thank you, Thanks, sir. Bobby. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Let's take a break here. We'll come back on the other side with Aaron Geek in the City Duran and more news from Don Taylor of Film.com and a final installment of Making a Scene for your chance to win Oscar Night America 2009 tickets. Stay there. the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. And uh, so forth. Don't forget, coming up today at uh, 3 o'clock, the final live installment of the Tom Likas show. It's coming up today at 3 o'clock. It is uh, not going to be repeated. Uh, so you got uh, you got to listen today if you want to hear it. 503-733-2970. Still to come, we'll do today's top five. Aaron Duran has, uh, I believe, the top five songs uh, to which one kills zombies. And actually, without further ado, well, let me just go ahead and uh, we'll welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from GeekInTheCity.com, Aaron Geek in the City Duran. Hello, sir. Hello. What is your top five today? Oh. Uh, the top five songs to kill zombies to when the, in the apocalypse comes. All right, so this is not like while well, gaming. This is actually no. in the actual no, zombie apocalypse. Happens. Right, yeah. All yeah. right, that's fantastic. Well, because one needs a proper soundtrack. Yep. Is not if it happens, when it happens. Is one of them Ride of the Valkyries? No. Okay, good. See, now I'm convinced it's just going to be chimps. I think chimps before zombies. I know. We're going to create zombies because they're going to have to be the ones that fight the chimps for us. See, I was thinking badly. the opposite, though. See, I was thinking that... Here's how, it, in my in my mind's eye, here's how it plays out. The zombies, uh, you know, arise, of course, and as Don said, it is not really, a, you know, a, if it's just more of a when. Yeah. So, just like Mongo ain't exactly who, he's more of a what. Uh, so the Mongo like candy. <laughs> um, just the idea that 30 years ago you would have a character named Mongo. Which, as a kid, I didn't realize was short for mongoloid. was just funny because it's a funny-sounding word. But then you realize now that it's genius on numerous levels. Um, but, you know, when the zombies come, I figured that then we, Springfield-style, decide to train chimps to go fight the zombies for us. But then, sort of a little fill-up at the end, where what happens is the chimps then turn and they align with the zombies against us because unbeknownst to humankind, they formed a loose sort of tentative alliance against their common oppressor, which is living humanity. Yeah, plus while we share a lot of things in common genetically with the uh, the chimpanzee and the monkey, the, the zombies don't want to eat them. They don't have that that perfect human flesh. They're not taste. tasty. Yeah, so no. what happens is we then create T1s to take them both on 
and then it all goes downhill from there. All right. Fair enough. Uh, and so forth. All right. Uh, so what we're going to do right now is uh, we're going to give the call to action, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're going to do a final installment of Making a Scene. This is your chance to win the last remaining pair of tickets to Oscar Night America 2009, which happens this Sunday at the Hollywood Theater with Sarah X. Dillon, Tim Riley, myself, Richie Bristol, Rochelle Crystal, Darcel, uh, and then uh, Jay Malone and Rod Hill from K2. We're all going to be there. That is this coming Sunday. Tickets at filmaction.org. We're going to give away the final pair of tickets right now uh, with our last installment of Making a Scene. It is 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. And here's how you do it. If you can replicate on air a sequence, scene, or speech from a film, no visual aids allowed. you got to do it from memory. If you can recreate telephonically for us a sequence, speech, or scene from a film, uh, you will win that pair of tickets to Oscar Night America. So call now, 503 733 2970 In the meantime, this is Don Taylor at the News Desk. And now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. A Billings, Montana man is accused of stabbing his father during a fight that started over a can of cat food. Ian D. Johnson, 33, appeared before a judge and pleaded not guilty to the charge. Prosecutors say Johnson stabbed his father, 62-year-old Dwight Johnson, on October 6th during a fight at the family's house. Dwight Johnson was treated at Billings Clinic for a stab wound that penetrated his lung cavity. Court records state Dwight Johnson told police the fight started because he was frustrated that his son was not contributing more to the household. When his son confronted him about using a 60-cent can of cat food, the father said he told his son to move out of the house. I don't understand. I mean, maybe this story can't be understood on some deeper level, but I don't understand the actual mechanics of the story. First of all... What do you mean he's? I don't understand about the sixty. Like, what was the kid using it to feed the to feed the cat? I would like the kid wasn't eating it or something. I, I don't. And know. this is Billings, Montana. Like even like about. okay, so even if the kid's a big sponge, I mean, which he might be, like the cat's got to eat. Like not the cat's fault that the son is just a jackass. Maybe his one joy was feeding the cat. <laughs> and oh, when I his see. father fed the cat, it made him so angry. Oh, okay, all right, okay. all right. So the, so the father demanded to feed the cat, which was a pleasure shared by both of them. No, because I think the son was living there rent-free, and so he was mad that the, he used the 60-cent thing of cat food. But why would the father be mad? That's what cat food is... In other words, oh, it's, no. not like the, it's not like the kid ate the mucilix that the dad needs to keep himself regular. No, oh, no I know, I know. It's uh, the, the dad was like, you're no good. You don't contribute anything to the household. We need money. And the son's all, you spent 60 cents on a can of cat food. That You could get like 30 cent cat food and that would just be fine. And the dad's like, Screw you. You don't have more work than you are. And they say, I stab you. <laughs> and the son says, I contribute knife. I was just going to say, I contribute a knife to your lung. All right. That's, uh, see, now I want to do it all as the knife guy, too. That's I'm going to contribute your lungs to the cat. Now, wait a minute, because I'm also going to put this knife inside your lung. It is weird that as, as it goes on, it becomes more gravelly, and I become a space marine version of James Vanderbeek in Varsity Blues as I do that. I don't want your lung. And then with the knife. Final thing about cat food, when I was a kid, you know what I found magical? Is that television commercial. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> what? I, I don't usually hear the word magical and cat food in the same sentence. Are you going to talk about the fancy feast? That's because you haven't heard it, it, it told Rick Emerson style. Um, so, the uh, <laughs> like we can bring Mr. Skin back to talk about boobs. <laughs> During which, by the way, we actually turned Don's microphone off at one point because I was afraid that your uh, uncontrollable chortling was going to go over the air and be and uh, and be noticeable, which would have been fine by me. But 
I'm just saying. Uh, because your laughter is infectious. Uh, but, you know, I was fascinated by that cat food commercial where they, they take, like, the vitamin pill and they press it in the top and it goes down into the can. Awesome. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And they were trying to demonstrate, like, it, friskies or whatever it was. It made like, a purring sound. It went See, to me, it almost sounded like a drilling noise. Yeah. And it was like they put the capsule on its end uh, vertically yeah. on top of the blue. can. Yeah, it was blue. And they would press it, and it would go, and, it, and I would think to myself, how do they do that? I went, And in my head, it wasn't that the capsule was magical or that they were doing it with, like, trickery. I thought it was somehow this, this fantastical can of food that could just absorb things, like it had a semi-permeous membrane or something, uh, you know, on the top of it. I realize now that nobody else Like the Enterprise's shields where they can fire torpedoes, but it blocks them hitting them? Just like that, Aaron, in your face, Don Taylor. All right. Yeah. A four-year-old boy took the ride of his young life when he managed to put a parked car into neutral and it rolled across South 38th Street in Tacoma and into a store. Tacoma police were reviewing how the boy got out of his car seat and how he got the vehicle, which was parked with the engine off, moving. All right. First of all, it's Tacoma. There is no car seat. <laughs> The boy, his mother, and her boyfriend pulled into a check cashing store. <laughs> Bam! There you go. Just after 9 a.m., the two adults went inside the building and left the boy buckled into his Did you say the mother and her, uh, and her husband, the boy's no, father? Her boyfriend. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you might have said that they were married. The mother told police she was keeping an eye on the car. <laughs> she had the car keys in her hands. The next thing, she turned around and the car was gone, said police spokesman Mark Fulgham. Officer said the boy managed to get out of this car seat, climbed into the front seat, and put the car into neutral. He backed it out of the check-cashing parking lot, <laughs> sharply turned the wheel, and then backed into the driveway of a strip mall adjacent to the check-cashing store. The car smacked into the CompuCare store, causing some damage to the store, its contents, and the car. No one was injured. While the car was smashed up, the adults were able to drive it away. And we'll probably not get it fixed. I was well, they got to get it fixed, though, because that's undoubtedly what they used as collateral to get their checks cashed yeah. in a place with a big-ass bulletproof glass. Did you say how old the kid was? Uh, he was four. Yeah, see. And, four years old. And look, I don't know if you all know much about uh, the fine city of Tacoma, but you know for a fact that that was some Stewie Griffin-type kid who was totally like... That was his one chance of freedom. <laughs> Fools are raising me in this bastion of idiocy. <laughs> now is my chance to free myself and live a cultured life. Victory is mine. Yes. <laughs> and instead it's like back home to like be swaddled in dirty huggies and, uh, you know, and watch Judge Brown, you know? So... He's, and then suddenly you can see him back in his high chair while his, you know, his parents are shoving like off-brand baby food into his mouth and, you know, asking to heat up it with them fish sticks. There was, there was probably a huge dilemma too, where they were saying, "Stay and get the cash, run after the kids. Stay and get the cash, run after." <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, let's see. Well, let's uh, do this. Hold on, me uh, cue up the. Uh, I'm sorry, this is my fault. I've failed to cue up the uh, music bed here, and. Oh, wait. There we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is uh, time to do our final installment for this week of Making a Scene. All right, uh, we're going to take these in the order they came in. We'll go right here. Uh, hello. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program, sir, madam, as the case may be. Uh, what is your name? Uh, ben. Hello, sir. Are you ready to make a scene for us for your shot at uh, tickets to Oscar in America 2009? Ready as I'll ever be. All right. That's the spirit. What is the, uh, what's the, what's the scene you're going to be recreating for us, sir? Uh, when Neo meets Morpheus in the Matrix. All right, excellent. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, without further ado, I give you Ben making a scene. Ben, make that scene. I imagine that right now you feel a bit like Alice, tumbling down the rabbit hole. Hmm? You could say that. I can see it in your eyes. You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he's expecting to wake up. Ironically, this is not far from the truth. Do you believe in fate, Neo? 
No. Why not? Because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. I know exactly what you mean. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain. But you felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You're not sure what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Matrix? Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window, or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church. When you pay your taxes, there's a world that's been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like so many others, you were born into bondage, born into a prison you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there's no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Follow me. Wow, excellent. Well done, sir. Oh, my God. Congratulations. That was uh, truly fantastic. I was a big fan of his Keanu inflection. The bonus. Bonus. <laughs> bonus for the Keanu. Oh, well done, my friend. All right, I'm going to put you on hold. Congratulations. You are going to Oscar Night America. And you have to come and say hi to us. I want to see what you look like. Seriously. That was amazing. What is this creature that walks like a man yet has committed nine minutes of the Matrix to its memory? Uh, 2009. Okay, now here's the deal. I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, you or uh, one of your uh, legal assigns has got to uh, pick those up today, though, because the event is happening on Sunday. So I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, Rich, you'll get your info, and uh, we'll figure it out. All right, congratulations, sir. Oh, thank you. All right, there you go. Richie, that guy's on the one. You want to pick him up? All right, and let me just... Uh... Shiny, a slang term for great use in the television series Firefly and the movie Serenity. Fantastic. All right, well done. And it just kept and it just kept, it was, unschooling. It kept going. It was amazing. I want to shake that man's hand. You know, sometimes I just, uh, and I think I speak for all of sometimes you just want to pick up the audience as a collective whole and just hug them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? God damn, what a great audience. And I don't, it just, it just, I want to invite them all to my gaming table. <laughs> I'll just share your bugles. It, it, it really is just a, it is, it is quite something. And I, and I will just to sort of bring it full circle, then we'll break and we'll come back. We'll talk to Aaron uh, about the uh, Booyah Awards, which oh, is tomorrow. Yeah. We'll talk about the Oscars. We'll try to squeeze in the top five. Like us his last uh, live show for now, at least coming up at three. And just to, to close this circle with the like us thing, earlier I told the story about now 15 years ago hearing the very first installment of Tom's nationwide show. And he was talking about the Rolling Stones and, and rock and roll and, and burned out rock acts and whatever. And it was just. Speaking of the Matrix and having the whatever lifted from your eyes, and I just realized, oh my God, talk radio doesn't just have to be about House Resolution 593 and, and you know, and line item veto. Um, that you can talk about about uh, pop culture and things that, as Tom would say, things you really care about. And uh, that uh, right there is the logical extension of that. So take a break. Back after this, it's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. Sorry. You guys, snort right the missed there. the nerdiest conversation I have ever heard in my One life. One time when I was in Renfair. Here's what just happened. We, were, we went into the 
We went into the break uh, uh, just now, uh, Sarah Dillon, Don Taylor, Aaron Duran, and myself, and I made the observation. First of all, when we turned off the mic, the first thing Sarah said was, I can't stop smelling my wrists. Which is, I guess, makes sense if you know that she just put on a brand new perfume, but otherwise just sounds like a weird, like, I can't wash the dirt off my it hands. It smells really good. I wanted to nibble her wrist. It smells so good. I bought two bottles. Of I want to <laughs> nibble her wrist? She does. She I want to smells... hit you inside your torso with a wooden amazing. club. Is that... no. and, and I said, I said it was like they've given the drama club a radio show here. And then we then we started trying to one up each other with like things, and I was going to say cool things, but we all know that's not true. In drama club, uh, it started with I don't know. We were talking about guys and dolls, and then something something, and we did Les Mis, and we did blah blah blah. And then I said that we did. It's wrong to say almost an adaptation, but we did basically this reword, this this minimalized distillation, and we did a thirty minute stage version of Monty Python and the Holy Grail uh, when I was in high school because it was like you can write and direct whatever you want and then your parents are going to come watch you and so me you know me and my friends we our section was half an hour and so we did Holy Grail and I did the whole thing with the coconuts. birds the birds carrying the coconuts could be carried by an African swallow and just like whatever lame 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 um, I will never have a girlfriend and it's not a question of how he grips it <laughs> so so then Aaron was talking about how you wrote a prequel to what? Yeah, I wrote a prequel to the cheese sketch, which is fantastic and <laughs> sad. Uh, and then, and then Don Taylor said, "Well, you know, this one time when I was at Ren Fair, and Sarah noted that like that wins like almost immediately. But you, you guys did what was it you did? I, I, well, I preface it by saying I, I preface it by saying, oh, I could totally out geek you. When when I back when I worked at the Renaissance Fair." We reenacted in a bodice. We reenact yes, in a bodice. We reenacted scenes from Blackout. It's just so great. <laughs> uh, which uh, season do you remember? Uh, the Elizabethan season. Yeah, I mean, because I well, a we Ren Fair. Sorry, no, I guess we, we, we were at the Renaissance Fair. I, we I, had to be uh, I, historically correct. World War One yeah. doesn't really we, work. We couldn't be anachronistic. I, which sound like a Diet Coke? <laughs> no, I don't really want. Are you sure, oh, my lord? The Diet Coke is both carbonated and tasty. Renaissance fairs are just like a magical breed of their own. It's folly to assume that a simple Diet Coke could quench thine thirst, sir. Thou needest to be hydrated before the live chess match that happens in three minutes. Oh, thou was talking about Queen's chess. Jesus. And can I tell you, by the way, Joni DeRoshi and I have already decided, whenever our next stage production is, because when we did Bigger Than Jesus, this is one of the little touches I'm most proud of. When we did Bigger Than Jesus and we did the big final performance at Lincoln Hall that we filmed with the live band, all the crew members, because it was about rock and roll and growing up as a metal fan, the back of the shirts, you know, it was black t-shirts for the crew, and the back it said crew C-R-E-W, but then there was an umlaut over it, which we thought was a cool little, like, joke on a joke on a joke. So that, we've already decided, though, the next time we do a stage play, the crew members are all going to wear black t-shirts that say Macbeth in huge letters. <laughs> and it's just going to, with an exclamation mark. And, it, you know, that's, that's our thing. I'm calling that idea right now. That's a good idea. So, you know, there you go. Uh, and uh, he thrusts his fist against the post and still insists he sees the ghost. And whatnot. All right. Hello, Aaron wow. Duran. How are you? I'm, you know, I'm feeling surprisingly comfortable. Yeah. And at peace with myself. Yes. Okay, then. Well, uh, we've got a top five. But before we do that, let's actually talk a bit about uh, the Booyah Awards. The second which are the annual. Film Fever Radio Awards. Tomorrow. Yeah. The Geek in the City Radio Film Fever second annual Booyah Awards. Rick and I were place. talking, and if you want us to go next year, you're going to have to change the name. But we've been told now we can't change the name I totally because people like that. it. That, that's a terrible it's name. Terrible. It's a terrible name. It's not my terrible, idea. this idea. I know it's not your idea. I remember talking to you about this last Yeah, this year. is the whole thing. And isn't the whole thing that you want people to know that it's Film Fever Radio? So why... There is no Film Fever Radio. Or, or Geek or in the, the City. Why not call them the Geek in yeah. the City Awards? So, 
Branding, dude. Blue, like, marketing. Blue Rock sounds, blue, yeah, sounds either like that thing that the Marines say. <laughs> or Jim Cramer. Or if, have you seen, uh, like have you seen How's Your News yet? No, no, but they're coming to Portland There's now. this guy in How's Your News who speaks nothing but gibberish and can't understand, mm-hmm. and he ends everything with, like, booyah. So oh, well, now it's got to Do you want to seem like a mentally retarded newscaster? A mentally retarded Marine? Well, he's on TV and I'm not. I mean, I'm just saying... Uh, okay, I'm just, I'm just making the point here. Anyway, tomorrow at Cosmic Monkey Comics from 7 to 9 p.m. <laughs> Be there. It's awesome. <laughs> All right. I'm sure everyone is convinced of that. And uh, it, actually, it was fun last year. It was fun. fun. Yeah, and this year we're, we're actually we're going to have uh, two kegs of homemade beer. All right. See, that's something you got to sell it. So, Film Fever Ale and Stout of the Governor. All right. And it is. And see, that's the thing. It is a really cool event, and I'm not just saying that. Uh, Sarah and I both went last year, and it's sort of objective. Out, you know, look on, on the outside looking in, we could say it's very, very cool. I yeah, it was be a lot there, of fun. Despite the name. And I'm just, I'm just saying, like, it's cool enough that <laughs> I, I want to help build oh, the, I, uh, <laughs> I want to help build the, the Geek in the City brand. All right. All right. I'm with you. It's a whole thing. Okay. I want one word for you. Marketing. That's all. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, what is your top five? This uh, is the top five songs you will use while killing zombies during the apocalypse. All right. Uh, And this is is not, but this is in in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. This is when it really happens, not when you're on left or right. So this is like uh, like in World War Z when they talk about playing uh, uh, like the trooper or something by Mm -hmm. Iron Maiden to sort of like, you know, to to, to gear up. Yep. This is basically it. And yeah, this list is going to kind of run the gamut of different styles of of music and stuff. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Aaron Duran's top five songs uh, to which he will kill zombies during the apocalypse. At honorable mention. That doesn't sound right. Oh, what? This is not that. Oh, yeah. There we go. There we go. At honorable mention, Paradise City by Guns N' Roses. Honorable mention, a crackling sound <laughs> that goes on forever and then stops. Honorable mention, Flames of Death. Now, I'm not questioning any of these. Just please to explain. Is there any rationale for this? Or is it just in your head when you picture it, this is the... Uh... Yeah, in my head. This would make the honorable because it's the whole... You know, you're going to kind of reclaim your city. So oh, I see. You know, the kind of slow build up into it. This, is... mean, this song just makes me want to shoot someone. Or th- yeah, see? This is like the... You should have been here for yesterday's top five. <laughs> this is like the... Um, so this is like in the movie... Where this is where like Hudson and Hicks are like you know checking each other's weapons and yep. they're doing that like booyah thing yeah. and then they uh, bump chest and then they right. go out and they shoot Zeds. That nukes, knives, yeah. sharp sticks. <laughs> <laughs> Honorable mention: Paradise City by Guns N' Roses. Well done. At number five, right, Valhalla awaits me. This is by uh, Anman Amran. So YouTube's being really difficult today. Sorry. All right. I'm sorry. We'll uh, stop that and we'll yeah, do. Sorry, what is the name of the song? Valhalla awaits me. By Amon Amran out of um, Norway. Just listen to them lyrics. Glorious. Are there lyrics? Is this like when Michael Bay helps you fight the, the yeah. zombies? <laughs> I do believe the opening line is the blood drips right from your wound. Okay. Oh, this is one of those songs that never actually begins. This yeah. is a Chris Morris joint, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, this really is. This is my nod <laughs> to my prod rock beats. I'll come back in an hour. Wait. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What is this, Lars? No, it's. I'm, I'm on a. I don't know. Norwegian. It's Norwegian. Okay. Here's number four, okay. ladies and gentlemen. They number four by yeah. Basil Polidoris. It's the slow opening version, I guess. Speed up. I am. Okay, we're doing the best. Handful of crumbs. We're doing the best like, we can know, over here. Like, I, know, I, like, I don't know what your freak songs are supposed to there sound like. But like I'm sorry. Supposed to be like. You normally do the I reading. preload. I'm sorry. Uh, Anvil of Crom. 
Anvil of Crumbs? Anvil of Crumbs. Crumb? The, the yeah, that's like, Conan. like our yeah, Crumb? Like, no, Crumb. Conan. By the, oh, crumb. sorry. Yeah. Sorry. God, I can't sorry, believe I that. Doesn't thou know, Conan, sir? <laughs> crumb. Hast thou got the inside of thy less wrist stamped for readmission? <laughs> crumb. I have never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. <laughs> wow. Would I would not listen down with you. <laughs> I was amazed, by the way, that during the making of scene, nobody did. Is it? What is better life? Yeah, that. Yeah. Do you hear the lamentations of, of their the women? women? Yeah. Well, let's wow. move on to number three then. Um, we're dumb. These are Aaron Duran's top five songs to which he will kill zombies during the apocalypse. Number three is The Trooper by Iron Maiden. As referenced in World yep. War Z. Well done. Todd Wainio tells this story. Yep. Yeah, he says, and when he kicks in singing, I got it, I felt it. I lined up, set, pulled the trigger. Wow, what a great song. I would kill anything to the sun. Yeah. No, this is... Kittens. I kill kittens to the sun. <laughs> you mean figuratively speaking? Figuratively, yes. Figuratively. With your feet? I kill, I kill kittens in my mind. I think killing kittens means something else to you than it does to me. You anyway. take my life, but I'll take your too! This is like a slow motion killing of the zombies where I'm jumping over the hill with like my machete coming down and I'm going like... And something explodes behind you. Yeah, totally. Michael Bay filming the whole thing. Excellent. All right. By the way, can I just say, there's a Portland metal band Stone Creep uh, who are fantastic. They're awesome. They are righteous. I saw them at uh, the Hawthorne Theater uh, one night, and this was their encore. They did their whole set, which was just, you know, it was just like molten rock. And then, uh, and then they came up with the encore, and they just and they played this, and it was just like the greatest, the greatest moment. It was just like this great moment of like metal unity. We're all like, yeah, Maiden, you know, and suddenly <laughs> all bonded as one. All right, at wow. number two. Oh, and the Renaissance Fair is geeky. <laughs> These are uh, Aaron Duran's top five songs to which he would kill zombies. At number two by Queen. Why is it with Queen and Killing Don't Chains? Don't stop me now. Okay, this... Okay. They already did this in Shot of the Dead. That's why it's... I never thought of it until I saw it, and that movie cuts that song so well that now when I kill zombies, I want Queen in my ear. And yesterday, Kristen Bowie and Adam Thompson were here, and they were doing the top five songs that they themselves would just kill people to, which is basically what it, what it was. And this was on there, too, so... You guys can see it. You can see Sean. So are you saying this is because it's in Shaun of the Dead? In other words, the zombie apocalypse in your head takes place in a world where we've watched movies about the zombie apocalypse. Yes. So like if it were to happen real time, like in Portland. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Like in AZ. Which we'll talk about in just one moment. Yeah. All, All right. right. Number so one. At number one, by Boots Randolph. This is going to sound really effed up, but by Boots Randolph, number one would be... Oh, awesome. Because. <laughs> okay. Oh, come on. Tell me you can't see yourself just running in double time. I can. I just didn't really anticipate this. One shot, one kill. I don't know what I, I, don't know what I anticipated as the end. This is from V for Vendetta during that. Like, yeah, they use it. Too. Well, they use it there. They use it. I mean, it's most famous. It actually predates Benny Hill, but it's yeah. most famous for being used in the Benny Hill show. Uh, this is a good time to talk about AZ, which is coming up this Sunday yes. as a part of CBS Radio Theater. Of course, CBS Radio Theater uh, happens this Sunday, 6 to 7, uh, an hour of live radio drama produced right here in the studios of AM 970. And 
before we've alternated AZ, which is set in uh, post zombie apocalypse Portland, with another series. You have to, we have to figure that out. It's just freaking me out. Uh, this Sunday though is something special. It's back to back AZ. Please yes. to tell. Uh, we're gonna do back to back AZ. Uh, we're actually gonna show. We're gonna broadcast the last broadcaster again, which is episode number two. Episode number two. Uh, yeah, we had some requests. A lot of people for some reason missed that one, so they wanted to hear it again. And the other reason it works very well is that it ties in to the new episode, which will of course be done live. Uh, the episode is titled, And the Geek Shall Inherit. Uh, it's the closest AZ will ever come to a humorous episode. Excellent. So that is this coming Sunday, 6 to 7, CBS Radio Theater, back-to-back episodes of AZ, which is set in uh, modern-day Portland after the zombie uh, apocalypse. And, of course, the Booyah Awards happening tomorrow. Tomorrow night at Cosmic Monkey Comics, which is at 53 in Northeast Sandy, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. And, and on Sunday sorry? night, I have my show on KUFO with Lisa Wood, the punk show. Some from 7 to 9, yes. and you should listen. And by the way, if I can just throw one more log on this uh, fire. So speaking of the punk show, everybody should go to the Booyah Awards, and then once the Booyah Awards are completely over and done, Wednesday 13 is going to be at Satyricon. Oh, uh, yeah. So you really got to go. You got to go, you got to go, you got to go. Uh, Don Taylor, film.com. Yes. Have ye anything in particular you would like people to uh, to read uh, by you with that fine sign? Or should they ever upload your story? Well, I was trying to see if, if the uh, the story I wrote this morning has actually gone live yet, live yet. I just wrote a piece on uh, my five suggestions for uh, casting in the uh, the Spielberg Lincoln biopic, which is just recently, uh, apparently they're, Finding out this week if it's actually finally going to be greenlit. It's been in the works for years. So. Right. Well, thank you all for coming in. We appreciate where are we at here. I'm starting the music in about 10 seconds. Okay, so by the way, uh, don't forget the final live installment of the Tom Likas show happens next. Uh, from all of us here, thank you for listening. Have a good weekend. And uh, we will see you uh, Sunday nights at uh, the Oscar Night America 2009 uh, ceremony, which is happening at the Hollywood Theater. Sarah Dillon, Tim O'Reilly, myself, Riley! Rochelle, Crystal, Darcel, and a cast of millions. So that is coming up this Sunday. Uh, Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Dillon. For AM970, the talker, the newsroom, Don Taylor, on the phones, Richard Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in, the webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, and of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan. Don't have with me, Reynolds. Uh, we also want to thank Aaron Geek in the City, Duran, Mr. Skin, Steve Kastenbaum, and Bob Costantini. As always, thank you for listening. Be safe. And we'll see you all. All on Monday. Bye now.